was just, you know, David and Roger. And then like they kind of one of them kind of did keys and then they had other people come in to fill right. in the random spots that they couldn't do. Yeah. But that it was mostly all them and a drummer was I almost wondered if it was that sort of setup. But 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 so how long when is Richard Wright in the band? He's the whole time. I think The whole existence uh, of the band. I'm pretty sure he's the whole. Yeah. He got was he the one that got kicked out? During the recording of Wish You Were Here, and he was gone for like an album and a half, but then he came back. I oh. thought you were going to say, and he was gone for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half. Yeah. That, that album actually was about him. They wanted him to come back, you know? Yeah. Wish, wish yeah, You were, were Here. Yeah. They wrote the lyrics afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Makes sense. Episode 25, recorded April 14th, 2022. If you weren't, if you wouldn't have done it, it would have been a betrayal of the moment, and so that would have definitely not been not been good. So, uh, but yeah, so we have Shay Cotter here with us, um, and we're going to talk about Pink Floyd today. Uh, but before we get into that, I right. like his solo stuff. Oh, Mr. Floyd. Yeah, yeah. I'm always curious which one is Pink. Right. Oh, by the way. By the way. Get ready for that bullshit this whole time. Yeah, I I'm blissfully ignorant of much of the pinking of the Floyd. So yeah, because that song was not on this playlist. So you, yeah, I don't. Is you it, wouldn't yeah. have just gone through that. I don't yeah. even know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Have a cigar. Hmm. So whenever you have one of those those jokes where you're like, only someone who's a fan right. of Pink Floyd <laughs> would know this. It's gonna be all don't, night. Don't look don't at look. me. <laughs> Look at him. Have a cigar. Him. Well, we look at you for like the hopeful, like, is he going to get this one? Maybe. Right? It's like every time you don't get it, I die a little bit more inside. <laughs> I mean, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you brought some extra lives from our video game podcast because you're going to need them. <laughs> every time you don't get one of these jokes, this podcast is like 15 minutes longer with us explaining the joke. There it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. The... So really, I'm going to be punishing mm-hmm. the listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but Sorry. yeah, it's weird. I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm still in this weird head space. I should only be in there for like another two weeks where I'm just in this sea of editing all the past oh, podcasts. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but it's weird, but it'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be good. Um, so what is your aversion to Pink Floyd? Oh, uh, I, I don't really have, I mean, besides the obvious one that they suck, right? Besides the obvious one that they suck. <laughs> uh, that's the shortest podcast in history. <laughs> That's a, so I throw my headphones across the room. <laughs> and then like maybe 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 like do it in seven four and then you'll have a song, you know? Like money, right? Is it in seven? Or yeah. or mm-hmm. nine? Mm-hmm. It might be in nine. Four, five, six, seven, one. Yep. Okay, it's in seven. Yeah. Um It's a gas. No, no, I don't have um I think Pink Floyd is just one of those bands that just for whatever reason didn't hit me at the right time. Mm. And by the time that it did, I was already into other stuff that, that was doing things that were close enough to it that I sort of preferred. Mm. Um, yeah. Cause you definitely didn't get into them like in high school, right? No, no, not at all. Okay. So that was, that was how I, that was how and when I got into them was, People I knew during high school, uh, you know, smoking weed and listening to Pink Floyd was right the way in, and that was yeah. right. That that wasn't my scene. Yeah, 
So at right. the, at the time, so. Um, but before we get into Pink Floyd, uh, I did have sort of a, a, something I wanted to bounce off of you. Okay. So, um, are you, Robert, familiar? <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a question. <laughs> it's like a little switcheroo. <laughs> anyway. Um, hey. uh, are you familiar with the works of Joseph Campbell at all, Robert? He's a poet? Um, nope. Author? Yeah, music. Okay, I was uh, he, the, the hero of a thousand crooner. faces. He's face. a crooner. God Sorry. damn it! I see someone is going to be playing the role of mischief <laughs> this evening. Uh, no, yeah, he wrote that book, The Hero of the Thousand Faces. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, the past. You know how sort of like all the past thirty years, 30, 40, 40 years 40. or so of movies in Hollywood. You know, 50. hmm. 50 almost I, no. like I, I mean like 1980 Star Wars but that's 77 or 70 so 45 30 years. yeah 45 so the past like 45 Round years <laughs> of, of film tends to be kind of samey and tends to be like about a special boy you know oh and, yeah and they all kind of have sure. the same rhythm and everything that that's kind of Joseph Campbell's fault mm -hmm. um because he sort of was involved in with George Lucas in the making of, or, you know, supposedly that's the lore, right? That he like went to Skywalker Ranch or, or whatever, went and hung out with George Lucas and George was like, hey, do I have these archetypes right? Do I have this right? Do I have that right? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, for it to fulfill this idea of the monomyth. Right. You know, the, 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 that all religions, all folklores or whatever are in their way telling the same story. Over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that that's like the basic premise, and uh, and it and it ballooned out and whatnot. And but you're a big Campbell fan. Yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, I'm familiar with a lot of his works. I'm, I think I've kind of. I don't know that I would call myself a big Campbell fan these you, days, but you would have at. Some I would point. have at you know maybe a handful of years ago, especially. Same. I I, yeah. I wouldn't call myself a Campbell fan either. I've, I've kind of gotten to where I see a lot of the ethnocentricity of his work and a lot of the, you know, yeah, but. Well, and that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I wanted to like pick your brain about. Okay. Was because I was listening to an old conspirituality podcast uh, yesterday or something. They were talking about how the hero's journey is co-opted by, mm. you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the grifters in the health and wellness space. Mm. yeah and whatnot okay. because it's all because it's it's all centered around individual truth and individual realization and individual because we have to know we're special kinda yeah. kinda and um but i don't know i was ju i was just wanted to like ask you like was there ever a point to where you felt <clears throat> that oh maybe this kind of approach is a little bit toxic or maybe this approach by trying to connect all these things, it's leaving a lot out. Yeah, and I would say that was probably, for me, that deconstruction started somewhere between 2019 and two, 2020. Okay, so um, relatively recently. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it became um, filtered through a lot of other things at the time that were opening up my own understanding of... of of my own ethnocentricity. And when that started to kind of get blown up, I began to explore how many of the things 
that I've really kind of anchored myself to were also guilty of that is I was trying to kind of divest myself of as much of that as I could. Um, and then realizing, you know, he was really trying to understand some things from all these various cultures, but understanding all of them through a very white European mindset. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Well, and he's also, you know, part of his story, if you get into it, um, and you is that he was sort of impatient with academia. So he didn't yes. actually finish his, he didn't actually get a PhD in like the 20s or whatever. He just kind of started his own thing. Well, he was like, he just like hung out with Krishnamurti on a boat once, you know, mm-hmm. while studying, uh, Krishnamurti, um, Oh yeah, I got you. Okay. Yeah. And um I'll figure it out. And so and then he, you know, like the 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 lore or the story is that he just sort of carved out a very frugal existence and just hung out in like a cabin somewhere and just read the books he wanted to read and and whatever and felt that, you know, so he so he never so it's like he was very committed to being rigorous and thorough, but in his own way and under his own direction and and really for whatever reason did not did not fit well in academia hmm. and sometimes that's a sometimes that's that's not a problem but sometimes hmm. that's a red flag right um so so yeah, you know, I that's something that whenever I was real excited about his stuff, I I really I thought that was amazing, and I was like, Look. oh yeah, yeah, that's like this sort of, you know, heroic thing, and yet sometimes scrutiny is good, and academic scrutiny especially. Right, 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 and it and I mean it it took me a very very long time before. <clears throat> I, because I had gotten, I'd had a, uh, some disagreements with a close friend over some things and, and he had called me a reductionist. Okay. And I didn't know what that meant when he said it. And it took me years and years and kind of getting into, I started digging into just sort of religions and, you know, history of religions on their own merit and anthropology of religions on my own. And it was then that I started to understand this term reduction and then it became clear. I was like, oh, this is Joseph Campbell's entire career. <laughs> um, and yeah. so while it might have been very progressive in the early and mid 20th century to say, hey, these other world philosophies have just as much truth mm. as the Bible, just as much truth as the Arthurian legends and what have you, um, at a at a certain point it be it becomes that you are you know to make them fit together you're chopping off you know you're 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 chopping off all of the edges and you're chopping right. off all of the things that make them that are essential to these things to make them fit into your you know eurocentric i mean lens he, and he had some good stuff and there are still some principles you know his his way that he explains the use of metaphor, the dangers of dogma, all these kinds of 
principles I think are really valuable, but I think he's kind of guilty of some of his own criticisms. And and it's it's really difficult to kind of like, and I'm not trying to sort of drag Joseph Campbell through the mud. There's not enough known. There's some speculation that he like had some anti-Semitic things, views in private life and whatnot, but there's nothing, you know, I mean, he was 80 when he died and he died like in the eighties, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's not a lot of, you're not going to, you're not going to find his old Twitter feed, um, kind of, kind of stuff or, and, and he wasn't in academia. So there's not as much, there's only record of what he wants you to have record of and stuff he published, right. I guess. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just mostly sort of, I went through this period really reflecting on how I used his work mm. in a toxic, reductive <clears throat> way. Um, and that, that might've been progressive to, to like, like, I like, was it Houston Smith and the perennial philosophy of like all religions are expressing the same fundamental truth Right. But just through their own unique cultural lens. Yeah, no, and not really. <laughs> right. Like and it's like that 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 was probably a really progressive idea in the fifties. And that probably seemed like really, you know, at, you know, wow, oh that's so deep. Oh, you know, da 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 da. But but it doesn't really cut it now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now it's it's like, okay, well, you know, you're only seeing this from your point of view. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because it, I've just recently kind of started paying attention to how many things in our history as, I guess, humanity, we're on these sort of progressive ideals where at one point this is the norm and then things progress and then this becomes the norm and then things progress. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's going to sound a little new agey, but our consciousness is kind of evolving. Our, um, you know, just the other day I noticed there's this uh, this new documentary called "I Am the Bully" or "When We Were Bullies." When we were bullies, and it's this guy who took a film crew and went back to to find all the people he could he could find from when he was in grade school in the fifties. Mm. And he remembers this incident clearly now with what he learned, you know, in the later part of his years of this really traumatic bullying uh, event where he was one of the bullies and he gets all these. Right. And I just think about, you know, we would have never had a film like that 30 or 40 years ago. Sure. Um, and and we're on this really interesting progression. And, and um, it was just today. I've never understood the fact that Pink Floyd was one of the originators of prog rock. Until today? Until today. Wait, what? They were just Pink Floyd to me. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, how's that for a segue? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're going to do any better than that. <laughs> um, hey, man, I was coming up empty, so I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I really never, I mean, I, The Doors, Pink Floyd, all these bands that... I just took those bands as these kind of standalone, well, things. Well, so that... how how old were you when? Well, I guess how old are you, if you don't mind? I'll turn fifty this year. I'm forty nine. Okay, how currently. exciting! Yeah. Am I the oldest podcast guest you've had so far? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm always the oldest person around you, Richard. 
Um, I don't. That just means you're cool. I think, <laughs> or I'm not. I <laughs> I feel the same when I'm around like younger friends too. There you go. Well, you're um, not the oldest person who's recorded. No. In this studio, ever? Yeah, no, Never. not ever. No. Um, <laughs> you're not the oldest person who has recorded in this space. Um, but well, the, the the reason why I ask, not to embarrass you, or. Not only. Oh no, I'm not. Embarrassed. Not only no. to embarrass. You. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like uh, you know, like what was your perspective on, like, what, what age did you discover them? And so, you know, to liken that to, uh, what age would we have been when we discovered certain bands and how we view those bands? Right. I, you know, it's it's funny. I discovered Pink Floyd. My first memory of Pink Floyd was shortly after The Wall came out. It's like 79, 80-ish. Yeah. Right around there. Uh, my aunt, my my dad's sister, had bought tickets to go to a concert. Um, and I remember hearing about this, and I remember thinking, man, I wish I could go. Um, and so you were how old at this time? I was probably eight at the time. Okay. Um, but I also grew up in a house where, you know, I mean, one of my very first records, I think when I was about five was Kiss, uh, Destroyer, I think, you know, um, I, so it's not weird to me in my history that I would have been so in tune to something like that at eight. But, um, but when I really dug my teeth into it was probably late high school, early college. But weren't you, did um, did you, I know that you became a pastor at one point Yes. in your life. Now, were, were you on that path as a young kid? Like, did you grow up in a very, very religious home? Very, oh, very. But yet a very religious home in the seventies that allowed their five-year-old to listen to kiss. So I had, so we had kiss, we had ACDC sticks, um, scorpions and until Mm -hmm. the satanic panic of the 80s. Mm. And then my brother went to a seminar at Baker Road Baptist Church in Baytown. A guy named Joseph Aranza spoke, and he came back with all these books, and he came back and he broke all our records. And I was... Oh. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I was like, wait, that sounds pretty cool. Wait, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> and And so... From like, I would say maybe sixth grade on, then it was the, what can I hide? I see. So mm -hmm. I remember having a, a bootleg copy of Michael Jackson's Thriller. Dude, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> on cassette. Uh, we weren't allowed to watch the video, but occasionally I could like sneak a copy of it and watch it. Um, then I remember things like, um, then between you know thriller and then when i of course i i hit like seventh eighth grade then it was all about uh punk and hardcore and that would be the kind of thing i'd go and i'd skate with my friends and we'd go off to these places and i'd just copy everything from early metallica to uh sex pistols suicidal tendencies dead kennedys that kind of thing um and it was all like the contraband in my house, you know. I mm. kept it in shoe boxes under the bed, <laughs> and right. yeah, I think that was something that is e even amongst kids our age. That's something unique 
that you and I sort of both had, I feel, is that there were just no limits placed on us. Yeah. As far as what music we consumed. Right. Um, the only limit was how much of it we could convince our parents to buy, mm. I think. I don't know. Did, did you ever run into any of that? I was going to say, I didn't even really have that. It was more, for, I think for me, it was more like, what do I feel comfortable with? Because I, I very, we talked about it before uh, on 30 episodes ago. Something like that. Six months ago, whatever. Um, when I was like, probably like five or six or something. And I would be hanging around with my like dad and uncles. And they had mm -hmm. a, a lot of vinyl at the time. Right. And it was sometime after Injustice for All came out because they had the vinyl for that. And I remember like pouring over the cover to that. 88. Yeah, it's like 88. 80, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was probably like five or six. And I remember like pouring over the cover, but like being intimidated by it and not wanting to know. I was like, what sure. is this? But also it's like everything's cracked and creepy and she's got the thing of her eyes. And right. I don't, I don't, it just kind of scares me. Uh, so it was like, how far did I want? There wasn't much, there wasn't much of a, of a limiter on that for me. Right. There wasn't, there wasn't anything, you know, like so some of my, some of my friends, I remember, you know, their mother would, would read the lyrics and if she didn't like, like the like lyrics. Like to screen them before they listen yes. to music. Gotcha. Um, or after they bought a CD, she would come in and like read the lyrics and then throw the CDs out that she didn't oh, feel were wow. appropriate or stuff like that. You know, like. That's fucked up. Yeah, that, that was that was like something that some of my friends dealt with or or just, you know, whatever band made the, the no-no list. Oh, yeah. Ozzy Osbourne was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Marilyn Manson. Mar yeah, 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 just yeah, the, the yeah. penultimate, you know. Um, anything that was rap was obviously totally mm. out of the question, which is interesting because I say that there were no limits, but I bet if I would have if I would have been bringing home like Tupac records that might have actually, Tupac. you know, or, or whatever, yeah. you know, that might've actually like gotten a rise out of my mom. I really don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I remember wondering, okay, like, <laughs> so Queensryche's empire, uh -huh. I bought that CD three times, <laughs> three times because I would buy it and then I would feel like convicted. So I'd get rid of it. Oh, so it was this and was buy you. It. This, yeah, this was okay. this was like high school. This is where I was, you know, trying to figure it out. And uh, I just don't understand Queen Strike. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone who spells their name that way, it has to be G off, right? <laughs> you can't be Jeff Tate. <laughs> it's not allowed. Uh, no, no, like this whole concept of 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 getting. I mean, I have. I still. I'm going to own... come back to Queensrÿche later in this conversation. By the way. I'm <laughs> put, saying this right now. Put a pin in Queensrÿche because we're putting a pin in it, and we're coming back to it when we start talking about Dark Side of the Moon. Because I got a story that involves Queensrÿche. Let's do it. All um, right. But I, the, the the whole idea of of getting rid. I don't even get rid of albums that I think are bad. <laughs> That's a whole separate problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so like music that is good, but that is influencing me in a bad, like that, oh, this music is influencing my morality in a, in a bad, this, this music is a bad influence on me. I don't want to tempt myself. That is, that is a, that is an emotion. I have never felt anything <clears throat> even close yeah. to that. Yeah. So where that changed for me, honestly, it was a really weird because it was a, it was a Christian author. 
and he had this series of books. One was called um, True Christian. No, no, no. True Believers Don't Dance with the don't crossed out. And then the next one was called True Believers Don't Ask Why with the don't crossed out. And and so it was all about like discarding all the, the bullshit and getting down to past the the rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I remember there was this one chapter talked about, you know, the whole idea of this sort of garbage in, garbage out mentality is faulty. That if we're mature people, we can understand that if if we hear something or see something, we can understand what's worth hanging on to and what's worth not hanging on to. And if if we're just these, you know, the garbage in, garbage out paradigm is because computers at that time at least could not think. They could mm. not discern. They still can't. Yeah. <laughs> but but later, if somebody plays this podcast in the future and they can, that's why I built that in. There you go. Okay, gotcha. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've got to be able to understand and real, you know, just because I like listening to, you know, Ice Cube doesn't mean I'm going to go like gauge my day of whether or not it's good or bad by <laughs> whether or not I have to use my AK-47. Was today yeah. a good day? I, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, sure, 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 sure. I mean, just like I can I can enjoy Slipknot without needing to slit a throat or fuck a wound or anything like that. Yeah, I don't want to I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need, I don't, I nary need to push my face in and feel nigh a swoon. There you go. Um, <laughs> and for this, we're thankful. <laughs> um. Uh, right and and i i think there is a a deeper thing in the i mean i I just it's it just that that whole concept of you like buying a queen's record and then like queen's of all things is this terrible influence on on me morally and is gonna lead me away from the lord because jet city woman is about sexual promiscuity oh yeah so we had to nix that one okay okay (laughs) I'm just yeah, I'm just picturing. It's a weird paradigm, man. <laughs> and how old were you when you were having this this sort of inner turmoil? Seventeen. Seven. Fuck. This this crisis. 17. Right. Oh God. When I was thirteen, was it thir- Was I thirteen? Yeah, I was thirteen. I was like, hey, mom. Uh, the new Marilyn Manson record, Antichrist Superstar, comes out this Friday. Can you pick it up from Hastings in Huntsville on your way home? She's like. see i remember asking my mom when i was in preschool if she could go get the new kiss rock and roll over at kmart and she came back with some like k-tel greatest hits thing Mm. i mean my mom was like why did you make me buy this (laughs) you know you embarrassed me yeah there was a little in front of the community there there was a well i think she didn't mind because it was in huntsville (laughs) Oh, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sure. she didn't have to see her neighbors there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. You never see those people again, right? So, but, but yeah. So I, I had like just. It was fr- more like, aren't you corrupted enough? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you already have smells like children. Like, what do you? <laughs> what else? Yeah, <laughs> what yeah, do you yeah. Need? I mean, I, I just th- thank goodness that it had like a cardboard sleeve right, over you, the top yeah. of it, because when you, I'm not remembering what the actual cover was. Is that the face? 
That's no, the, like so. Okay, so the cardboard sleeve is like the half face, like out of focus, kinda, like decomposed, and he's like looking up kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But when you take that off, it's like, it's is that the androgynous? <laughs> no, that's mechanical animal. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. No, um, Annie Cry Superstar is. It's like it's him, and the f- photos look all fucked up. It looks like he has like some sort of like half-ass angel makeup or something going on. But he's like looks like a corpse, and he has like a dildo attached. To okay. his junk that has like two like IV leads that are like going into like gas masks that Twiggy <laughs> and Madonna Wayne Gacy are on either side of him like holding up. Wait, wait this and was on the cover when you pulled it out of the paper. When you slip? pull it out of the cardboard slip, because I, I had this album and I do not remember that at all. Um, I mean, I I can go get it because <laughs> he doesn't throw anything away <laughs> for moments just like this. Right? You never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll just look it up. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's wild I mean but either way you show your mom so yeah but like but like my mom didn't have to see that exactly you know thank goodness so (laughs) oh look see there it is oh okay okay I was I misspoke I misspoke I'm combining two of the images in my mind Oh, oh, com- oh, you know what? Yes. Okay. I'm combining two of the images on the back or when you open it up is is the picture that I'm talking okay Um, he really is lanky so I but like, anyway, I don't remember that. But yeah, anyway. it's in there. It's in there, but yeah. it's not on the front front. So, okay. anyway, but yeah, I mean that's that's one of my favorite records of all, all time. But anyway, yeah. So I was like thirteen and like, right, you know. And and I and I speaking of bullies, man, I I was, I I was there was a there was a, a pastor's son that I was particularly mean to, oh. and I like weaponized the lyrics to some of the songs on that <laughs> well you know like like i you know like anti-gay and anti-dope i'm the faggot anti-pope and shit like that like i would like scream that at him in the locker room and stuff um catharsis here i have regrets i have regrets i have regrets but i i had a lot of animosity towards towards christianity and whatnot so you know anyone who who stood for that and was 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 in my way was going to get something on him <laughs> right so but um but yeah but this whole concept of like oh man like self, I, self-censoring i guess was never really a thing yeah yeah uh, the only rec I, I can remember one of the records that i hmm. at during that time period of my life that i got and that i was like i don't i don't want this and it was Guar, <laughs> because to me at the time the record was so bad. It was like, like for other reasons though. Besides, oh yeah, I was like, this is the worst record that I've ever heard in my life. Which Guar record was it? Ragnarok. Okay, that's what it was called. So, I just wasn't for me at the time. Meat sandwiched. You know, like this like satirical thing going on. Oh yeah, I wasn't. I mean, I, I would never want to listen to a Guar album. I'd love to see him live. Oh yeah, but like that's what that's what that is. Sure, I feel like so. sure. Yeah, if it had been a video, maybe things would have gone differently. Maybe yeah, yeah. If I would have bought a thirty dollar VHS you know, it's, from Sam Goody, it's yeah. funny. Almost every tattoo shop I've ever been into, and I've been into a few. I can see that they there's always somebody playing a Guar concert. <laughs> somewhere in the tattoo shop. I was in Denton, Texas back in October getting a tattoo. And sure enough, there's a Guar concert Chewed going up. on. 
and it's like huh. I don't know if, if it's like mandatory. It's part of the licensing deal. Maybe so. Maybe so. License? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's the tattoo artist equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just like okay, they can handle the pain, but can they handle the guar? Can they handle the guar? Thou, sh- thou, thou shalt do no guarm. Um, <laughs> and if not, maybe the guar will take your mind off of the pain. If right. Any. Yeah. Yeah. Watch some live birth on stage. Yeah. Right. Mild sedative. Mild mm-hmm. sedative. Um, but so, so in regards to like the Floyd stuff, because you were talking about how you just realized that they're mm. originators of prog rock. One of the, but yes. You know, and, and I feel like, I feel like that right there almost hits the nail on the head as a reason of why they were always difficult for me to get into because they really do seem to exist on an island by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and they were for, uh, you know, however long until today. I was today years old. Um, yeah, they, they, they've always just been Pink Floyd. And I've, and we've talked about this. I, I kind of see them in three eras. There's, right. there's like the pre Dark Side of the Moon era or pre uh, Animals era. Yeah. And then there's the sort of the more popular era. And then there's the post Roger Waters era. And, and and the the early and the later there's this weird tie-in um but they've always just been pink floyd they've never been derivative of anything else to me right and and i guess we can probably touch on that when we get cuz today we're going to focus exclusively on period 2 right you know a, a playlist that robert made and whatnot but i think that that was why because, you know, I'm into psych rock or, you know, I had a period where I got into, you know, psychedelic rock and whatnot, you know, so that's like a lot of like doors mm-hmm. and, oh, you know, okay. a lot of stuff that's happening in, you know, Grateful Dead, stuff that's mm-hmm. happening in the late 60s. Really? And whatnot. And um, did you not see Small Deal? Did you? <laughs> Have you I ever? Mean, um... <laughs> it doesn't scream like L.A. Woman to me or anything, but. No. It, it might. It, it should scream a little bit of this is the end <laughs> is what it should. <laughs> Really? In sections, for sure, man. Hmm. Did did That's you? A long song. <laughs> have you ever listened to much of early early Floyd? I know that we're not going to get into that. I today, I, th- I at one point I I checked out the first record. I think the very first record was Sid Barrett, and I was like, this is cool. Like saucerful. Yeah, I like, think so. Uh, it's that one, and even though he, well, I'm not going to get too far into it. But I just recently went through the first two, and you can definitely hear how well that fits with the Doors. Jefferson Airplane, yeah, yeah, that kind of era yes. of psychedelic rock. What I do remember is that I do remember instantly getting it and instantly mm. emoting you know, like, "All right, I like this," which is not how I feel about any other Pink Floyd. Hmm. Um, but then also, you think about like '70s hard rock, you know, or and and proto metal and, and Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and you know, and the who and all that sort of stuff. And Pink Floyd does not belong in that. And then no. you think about like the mid seventies, hard rock bands and Aerosmith and, 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 or, or whoever. Bachman Turner overdrive. And BTO yellow. Right. Yeah. And like, they don't belong with any of that. Bands. Yeah. They've always just been. And, Pink Floyd. And, and then you think about like the site, like the progressive rock stuff. You think about rush and like, yes, yes. And, and they, and they don't, mm-hmm. Really, uh, King Crimson, King yeah. Crimson, yeah, not exactly. even anywhere remotely, you know, like or, that. or what was it? Yeah, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and yeah. whatnot, yeah. and like, and it's like, no, <laughs> they don't really belong with any of that either. It's like I remember being 
whatever age when we started reading like music magazines and stuff, Guitar World specifically, mm-hmm. and always seeing Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin brought up as like the duo of Interesting. Like, like the the enduring duo from the seventies that will never like that everybody knows and loves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that being like these are the things that you should know if you want to get be into classic rock and you should know about classic rock. But yeah, they couldn't be more different yeah. in any way. Right. Uh so yeah, like they just to yeah, to me I agree, basically. They they never fit into any of those uh any of those molds. Even psych psychedelic rock, which is like basically what they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. It never like 'cause I'm a I love the doors as well. Oh yeah. Totally separate thing there. Right. It I guess like another interesting thing. So, so this is another question. So I wonder if like what is the spread on people who like the Beatles and like Pink Floyd? I think you have to split the Beatles up between like the early Beatles and later Beatles. Of course. So people who like later Beatles mm. and people who like Pink Floyd. Do you think that is like how how big is that Venn diagram? How big is that overlap? Because honestly, to me... My assumption is that it's almost two separate circles. But Really? Yeah. I would say there's probably a small overlap. Interesting. But yeah, okay. Pretty separate. Okay. Because it, if anything, Pink Floyd's, this, this middle period here, more than anything, feels like, oh, well, this is like a spiritual successor to the later Beatles records. I, well, I mean, I would say that they experimented with some of the same noise music components that you know uh, like the white album delved into but that's probably about in my opinion that's kind of the only commonality huh yeah uh that's the closest for sure i think i guess like that there is a psychedelic i guess because it both approaches like a psychedelic effect but more using the studio as an instrument Mm. Mm -hmm. and so in that sense it seems to do that more. The, like the only other band before Pink Floyd that I think of doing that was the Beatles, really. Uh, Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pet Sounds, mm-hmm. definitely. I'm ignorant of that. That's kind of the the big one. I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. I think without Pet Sounds and the Beatles, music would have stayed very stagnant for a little longer, at least. I mean, that's a bold statement. Yeah. I don't. I I'm don't know, a, man. I'm a bold because. Man. <laughs> I don't Old know. <laughs> I don't know. Not not a lot of the music that I'm into. I, I, mean, I, I think guess... it would have been fine without without those two records. Without <laughs> or without um without pet sounds and whatnot. You know. That sounds pretty fucking great album. I'm sure it is. I'm not <laughs> knocking that, but I don't I don't I am not a Beach Boys fan at all. I'm sure and Pet Sounds is just a work of genius. I'm sure it is. I've never heard anyone say anything different. Right, yeah. You exactly. know, I'm not trying to knock that record. I'm just saying that like I don't I don't think that like Miles Davis needed pet sounds to do Miles Davis shit. There, <laughs> there were parallel things happening at the time <laughs> you know? that did not need to intersect in any sort of way. That is very sort of true. Yes. Um and I don't know how much Black Sabbath needed it. <laughs> Um, but like, I don't think any of the, um, I guess engineering team, because it was like it was, uh, who was the dude who engineered like Dark Side and stuff like that? Uh, Alan, Alan Parsons. Parsons, yeah, from the Alan Parsons project. Yeah, uh, and like they famously did like the quadraphonic sound on that album. Yeah, and it was like, a huge um, deal at the time. It was like okay, you know, revolutionary. He, yeah, he did that. He did uh, Dark Side, and I think he did uh, Wish You Were Here. I think so. Yeah. 
that is probably another reason why it's difficult to to sort of assess Pink Floyd is because the records during this period sound so damn good mm. that they don't really sound like they were made during that time period. Yeah, they're not dated. Yeah. You kind of have to listen to them in comparison to what else was around at that time right. to really get how much better they were than other yeah, stuff at the time. That makes sense. Um, that makes sense. So, so Robert, so you were, so you were in high school when you started to get into them. Yeah. And what was your gateway? I think, uh, like I said, like smoking weed at a friend's house, putting on like, I think the wall probably was the first one. Okay. Um, and then dark side at some point there. Uh, so those, those syncing it up with the Wizard of Oz. Did we ever try that? We probably we probably tried that. We're yeah. it is pretty trippy. Yeah, there's there's something there. There's uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, so there's that, and then pretty shortly thereafter, like being into, like I say, like guitar world and stuff. I was always seeing like top so and so songs, <laughs> top so and so solos, and you always see shit like Comfortably Numb, like way up there. Oh. Uh, time way up there. Sure. Uh, Wish you were here, way up there. So like, over time, I discovered like Wish you were here, and a bunch of the other stuff. Uh, and then I, uh, yeah, just kind of went from there. That was that was pretty much that. So, yeah, high school, tenth grade ish. And same for you. You said you you really got into late it in high, high school. school. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think for me it was Dark Side and then The Wall. How fascinating that that like same thing is happening, ten year, ten fifteen years apart. Or yeah, like, and so th- at that point, I mean, this was what nineteen ninety seven, eight, and this would have been probably eighty nine, ninety. Okay. Wait, Wait when did you go late? to college? Ninety one. Ninety one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. But that makes me wonder. Like, it does it happen today? Probably, right? I don't know. Like. Kids still wear like so. the same shit that we were wearing when we were like Nirvana I mean, T-shirts. And stuff, so, so probably to, maybe to maybe this is a little bit of perspective. I don't know, but my daughter, who's a freshman at UNT right hmm. now, she had a, a friend of hers in high school, Omar. 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 This is real name. Shout out to Omar. Great kid, Omar. Omar. You're awesome. <laughs> he just like his senior year, he came alive to King Crimson. Nice and. Uh, he just, man, he just like blossomed with that. How about that? And uh, so, yeah, I think there's still people that are it might, waking up to great music from that era. It might not, it might not be because at our time, you still had, you had to have a, you had to actively decide if yes. you were going to participate and engage with Pink Floyd or not. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like this cool thing that you found. Yeah, like, it wasn't on the radio anywhere, as far as I knew. Well, but everyone knew that Pink Floyd was a band. Everyone knew that Dark Side of the Moon was a thing. Everyone knew that it supposedly sunk up with the Wizard of Oz. Every, yeah. you know what I mean. So yeah. I, it might not, um, it it might not be the go to weed smoking album for high schoolers still. Yeah, that's <laughs> no. a good question. I wonder. But 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 it, but it, it was still in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because I mean, like, my friends who I experienced that with, their parents were just into it when they were kids. Right. And so it was it was still there. It was still uh, 
the thing that you got into and you know and i think one of the things too in in retrospect i mean if i was getting into dark side in say 88 89 Dark Side came out in what 70, 73. 73? So you 15 years. 70 fucking so, three? So in perspective, <sighs> that's like somebody getting into an album from, you know, 2007. Exactly. I mean, or, or right. yeah. Which yeah. they certainly still do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's it's not like, oh, I'm gonna get into classic rock. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that's yeah, a yeah. weird thing that I think about constantly, which is like, mm -hmm. I was born in 1983. Anything before 1983 may as well not have ever existed. You know? And Thank then eventually you. I just, I just, I bring it back up. Right? <laughs> I didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> but you do now. As of today. Yes. Um, um, but like, yeah, if, if The Wall came out in 79, it may as well have been ancient fucking history to me. Right. Even right. by the time I was yeah. like a teenager, right? Like just, it didn't register. It just, right. Yeah. Like the idea that. That's like, it's like that for everybody. That's not anything special to me. Right. That what, 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 like a anything that you think of that you were listening to that was current while we were in high school yeah. is the same as the Eagles. Exactly. When we were in, yeah. you know, like it's that, it's that relative. But I also do think there is something unique, which is that there was a huge watershed moment that happened in the late 60s with you know Beatles and psychedelic rock and the advent of the album as a medium mm. and all those types of things where that generation really there was almost just a hard stop on listening to your parents music and mm. that hasn't happened since right where an entire demographic just said fuck everything my parents listened to you know so so I mm. so there is it is, you know, like for, you know, for white music in the 20th century, it is almost like that clock for pop, pop music in the 20th century or whatever. It is almost like that clock starts in 1967 or, or, or 66 or whatever, almost, you know? Well, so people who were teenagers, I mean, I guess we were teenagers in like the early 2000s when like Screamo was a big thing. They have kids now who are teenagers. Mm -hmm. Are they issuing screamo as their parents' music? Um, but there's or, still or are they embracing it? But there are still more threads from screamo that that go to something like Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd, or that come or that go forward to whatever m kids might be listening to to today. Then there are threads from Pink Floyd to Glenn Miller. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. And so. I guess I don't know enough about Glenn Miller to fully understand that metaphor, but I. Yeah, big yeah. band music in the mood. Okay. Shit, shit I made you listen to. Oh, shit. <laughs> For that. I know a little bit about Glenn Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He loved bubbles. Um, bubbles and big bands. Yeah. I get these bubble machines. Really? Is that a thing? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me Google it, please. Glenn Miller's bubbles. It's the longest I've been quiet ever in my entire <laughs> life in my podcast. When you hear about Glenn Miller's bubbles, you got to shut up and listen, man. Um, But yeah, so I do think that that is something that makes this sort of that generational 
um, comparison, you, you know, unique because we were sort of, we were the first generation whose parents were boomers. I think we're, we're somewhere in there. You know what I mean? My parents were boomers. Your parents were boomers. So our parents were like, uh, you know, young boomers, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Low um, boomers. But okay. Here, late here, boomers. Here's another uh, question. Nice. Late boomers. <laughs> um, w- like my grandparents didn't listen to music. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that, I feel like that is the biggest difference, right? There's no one mm. of the, like all the boomers listen to some type of music. <laughs> like my parents had eight tracks. Mm-hmm. And albums. Right. Their parents had nothing like that. Yeah. They had a radio. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess at that point, music became a an active hobby that you could be into. Right. Yeah. It was a different and, kind yeah. of commodity, you know, mm-hmm. because of, you know, record labels and costs of, of printing going down. And then also right. the switch from, you know, the, the album itself becoming an art form, mm-hmm. not just a series of singles. And 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 whatnot, you know. Yeah. So, I guess it's like music really becoming a thing in popular culture, right? More than right. it had been. And, and you have television, and it's a different way to sell these things. Like now, you can sell the visual yeah. of the artist, and you have the the touring industry come, you know, and you you know all that sort of stuff. Like that's why the Beatles made so many albums. My understanding is they weren't able to tour because there weren't the technology wasn't there for them to play for them to have sound systems good enough to play the places that they would have to play to fit all the people in. Right. That's probably true. They did one tour, and that was their first U.S. tour, and they never toured again. How about that? They were a studio band from then on. I didn't know that. Right. And then you see, like, the shit of, like, the monster, like, monstrosity sound system that, like, the Grateful Dead was making, like, made in the 70s and shit like that, and just all this craziness. You know, Um, it's funny, because my, I was trying to do the math. My mom was born in 45. She was 17 years old. So that's 62-ish. She had a a part-time job after school, saved her money, and bought a record player. Of course, in 1962, a record player was like a big piece of furniture. Right. Right, yeah. And that was her first big purchase, was a record player. I have that record player in my home. Whoa. Sick. And, um, you know, every time, it's it's right there by the hallway, as you turn from the living room, it's that it just looks like a big piece of furniture, but that's what it is. Credenza, like, um, like a, just a huge yeah. thing that you have to open and deal yeah. with. Yeah, and and I think that is such a symbol of that turn that you're talking about, um, where that's an investment to buy a piece of furniture right. to play records. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and that was, and I do think there were people that had it. I mean, obviously, you see pictures of old Victrolas and things like that, but that's a that's a very niche subsection of the culture. Yeah, you're not talking about not white, popular music, right? And you're not talking about like my mom, whose parents were, you know, like grew up on 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 the farm. Yeah, and and, and that know, was her family, like. Because you're not, you're not going to get a, you know, they didn't have one of those record players <laughs> because they were too busy out there in the fields, like shelling peas and shit or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so, 
so yeah, that is, and, and that, that, then that's a whole different way to experience music, but like that type of, inv- that type of investment is even different than us buying a portable CD player or oh, yeah. a boom box or whatever. Um, even though that is, that was still a huge investment for us and, and, you know, in the nineties and whatnot. Yeah. The, like the closest I had to that was from, for some Christmas on, I don't know, like 97 or 98 or something. My mom bought me a five CD uh, changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The big like mm-hmm. thing the of your home stereo. And then two uh, like full size speakers from like Montgomery Wards, I think it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And they're Monkey like, Wards. Yeah, right? And they're like super on sale and super cheap. So got the got the five disc changer and the speakers. And not to embarrass you or anything, mom, but she didn't get a receiver, so there was no way to amplify the sound. So <laughs> I plugged in the speakers to the CD changer and I could like if I put my ear up to it, I could hear it. But it was like the faintest little yeah. thing. Oh, how funny. You know, I, I really think the only... <laughs> I was like, I need, I need something else for this. I need to yeah. boost it. She was like, okay, I'll get, I'll get that too. Okay. I really think the only contemporary analog to that shift is when people finally started investing in like home theaters. And and that, like the movie experience became mm, yeah. a home experience. Yeah, because at some point so. a, a home theater was a big room that you had to have in your house. Whereas yeah. now you can just sort of retrofit any room you have into it. Right. Yeah. I guess that is true. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, a I huge know. shift. Right. And I mean, and that is, that is like a, I mean, we were sort of talking about this a previous time because we've already talked about everything. So <laughs> don't say that yet. Um, <laughs> we're not done. We're not there yet. Um, I still didn't get back to Queensryche yet. We will. <laughs> oh, dude, you, we, we got plenty of time. You're right. stuck with us for a while. Um, but you're trapped in here with us. <laughs> you're not trapped in here with me. <laughs> no, you're, no, no, you're no, not. I'm not locked <laughs> in here with you. You're locked, you're locked in, here in here with me. With me. God, I love that line. Oh, uh, such a great movie. I don't. Oh, I don't know what I was going to say. I kind of lost it. Oh yeah, like the idea because if you have that kind of investment, like a piece of furniture, it's also a social thing. Mm. Like hey, like let's put this record on and listen to it together. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah. don't know how much. Anyone does that now anymore of any age. Um, but we still did it in high school. Yeah. You know, like I would go over to his house and because he had, he had that. I had those, those speakers those in that stereo system, yeah. From M-Dub. And, and we would listen to the new Fear Factory or the new Slipknot or the new whatever, yeah. you know. Um, which even at the time, I mean, was... I mean, the only other time that you and I did that was even started, even when you got into the 2000s, you know, was usually when we were on road, when we were on road trips to gigs, like that would be when we would listen to music together. Yeah. You know, but, um, but that kind of way of experiencing music was much more commonplace, I think, in the, in the sixties and in the seventies and, and whatnot. Certainly before like portable and more importantly, like personal music yeah, stuff became right. a thing, like on your phone or on your iPod or right, MP3 right. player back then. Your Diamond Rio, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Not the band. Um, I missed something. Oh, the Diamond Rio was a MP3, uh, early MP3 player. Oh, uh, okay. It was a big honking thing. All right. I think it was before the iPod, even. I don't yeah. remember. How about that I shit? So. Yeah. 
but also Diamond Rio, the band, the country band. I really like the thought that the Diamond Rio was just way early <laughs> on the on the MP3 adoption. They're like, yeah, no, we're gonna name it after our band. Before yeah, that, yeah. we had the Alabama. <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So I guess we can. Um... So we had Robert make a playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about your Queensrÿche? You want to do you want to tell that yet, or do you, or do you want to wait till that? You're gonna weave up? that in. Oh no, it, it, it it's got to build. It's got to come okay. up naturally. It's got to build. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. You said it was. Oh yeah, you said it kind of related to one of the tracks. So 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 this playlist is from 1973 to 1979, basically. This is this is Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, and The Wall. And so those so records came out in what years, respectively? 73 for Dark Side. Okay. 75 for Wish You Were Here. 77 so every mm. two years animals 79 the wall that's so crazy because i was sort of miscalibrated by like three years Th- you know I, I i i was just like, like yeah. your own thought of these albums coming? my own head canon gotcha. was 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 like <clears throat> somehow was like yeah dark side of the moon's like 75 i don't know why I thought that. And then I sort of thought that everything else happened somewhere in between there up till the wall, which I thought was like 82. Oh, shit. Okay. But maybe that was just when the movie came out or something. I think it did come out later. Yeah. Uh, 82 or 83. Something like that. So, some some weird headcanon. But it, it, Have you seen the movie? I way. haven't. No. <gasps> Dude, we'll get, <laughs> we'll get there. Don't be if you're gonna be clutching your pearls, babe. Just get ready. No, no, I'm just. I, you need to come over. I, I, I do, I do, I do. And but it's, I guess like something. that is a because because th- I have a reference for nineteen for records that come out in 1973, and so I'm that was like. What's your reference? The first Aerosmith record. Is, uh, is, oh my god! Right is one. You know, and to think that, Boy, that like, feels fucked up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does because I love Aerosmith, like, unironically, unapologetically. I love everything they've ever done, except for I don't want to, I don't want to miss a thing. Delete that. I don't care about that. What about Pank? In the context of the record, <laughs> on its own, it's like, what a weird, dumb song. But in the context of the record, you're like, oh, cool, neat, whatever. Okay. It's, it's okay. a nice, ah. it's a nice novelty. Okay. In the context okay. of that record. Okay. Um, and then, I get a little I get a little fuzzy on the Black Sabbath releases too because mm. Paranoid was seventy. Well, because they did so right. many so quick. so close so, together. So close together. Yeah, yeah, like those first four came out. So I think their first two came out the same year. I think so. It's like sixty yeah. nine. Yeah, I'm, self-titled I'm just, and Paranoid was. Yeah, that one might be seventy. Paranoid might be seventy. So seventy three. Like sabotage, maybe. Maybe. It's kind of what I feel like. But I, I feel know. like sabotage. No, sabotage. I think is seventy five. Okay. But maybe um, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Mm. Um, okay. I'm gonna check it real quick. But yeah, like so. Like, but knowing that Dark Side of the Moon came out in 1973 just really kind of changes everything. Interesting, because yeah, to me this is like, yep, that's when that came out. <laughs> so, so, um, so why these songs? Why did you start with Dark Side and? Because also the the songs in this playlist are not in chronological order necessarily. No, because you started with Dark Side and ended with Dark Side. Yeah, right. So why did you? What was your logic? So so, so uh, hang on. Is the question why these songs or why this order? First question is why this order. 
this order is because I felt I kind of just played with it for a while. So I sat down. I didn't need to, but I sat down and listened to all these albums again. Mm-hmm. Just all of them, a couple times, and just try to try to figure out what, how do I want to build this playlist? That was the big question. It's like, how do I want to build this playlist? Because there are so there there are so many different ways. There are a number of different ways I could have gone about doing this. Mm-hmm. But the way I chose was to pick these albums are com- are composed of songs, but a lot of parts of these albums work as the parts of the album. They work as albums, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. They're concept albums through and through. Yeah. Um. So I I arranged them in this way because they f- I felt like they flowed pretty decently. Um, okay. And um, it was hard to pick like a song from, especially the wall, to mm. pick one song from the wall. Like they're so dependent on everything that came before and after that it's very hard for me to say like, let me just put comfortably numb on here without putting the the, the following or even the the previous, which I think I left off actually. I, for some reason, I feel like "Hey You" is the one song on that album that kind of stands on its own. Yeah, and it's probably because it's the first song on the second disc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they felt like that was a pretty good. Because if you listen to it up until, if you listen to the first disc up until the end, it has a sort of definitive stopping point. Right. So, um, anyway, that all that to say, it was hard to pick a song off of these albums and just throw it on here. Um, and I have to say, "Hey, you" has my favorite Pink, Flo- Pink Floyd line ever. And the worms ate into his brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did say that earlier. There's a whole song about it too. Yeah. <laughs> or did you text it earlier? I texted yeah, yeah. it. Just like yeah. But yeah, I, I think I think, "Hey, you" is w- maybe even the only standalone song on that album. It's kind of how I feel. Yeah. For as much like radio play as some of the other ones get, I feel like you really need the context to get like what it actually is. Yeah. So, so that's why I I made the playlist the way I did was like I tried to put things that went together together as much as possible. That's why like half of Dark Side of the Moon is on here. No, more than half. Like two thirds. So I think you're only missing two. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, why? That was going to be my next question. (laughs) Because because then I'm just putting the whole album on here. And what's the uh, problem with that? I, well, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so what? So the song. So what? So the songs that you decided to leave off of Dark Side. Why did you decide to leave those off? Since <clears throat> you put so much of it. Just something had to go. Something had to go. Like because literally, I, then I'm just putting all of these albums on here. Because uh, sure. all these albums work so perfectly as albums. Hmm. You listen to the entirety of of Wish You Were Here. You get the first half of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, and then you go through Half a Cigar, Wish You Were Here, uh, Welcome to the Machine, not, not in that order, and then the rest of Shine On. Mm-hmm. And then same with Animals. You start out with Pigs on the Wing, and you go through that, and you get to the end. It, very much, those two albums are, are basically what we did with Carry Me Home. You have your little intro that mm. ties into the next thing. You yeah. have another song that's a, a sort of progression. You have a final song, and that ties into the end. That that references the beginning. Right. That's the exact thing that they do on those albums. So they they really do take advantage of the album as art form. Totally. Like maybe. Like maybe more than any other bands that I know of. Right. Certain, probably, certainly at the time. So, question. 
I noticed that Shine On You Crazy Diamond, the first half, yes. first is is missing. Is missing. It's just a long thing. It's like 13 more minutes. <laughs> like I said, man, I could have just put all of the albums on here. <laughs> right, yeah. But that's like five hours of music. <laughs> so I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna subject Richard to that. <laughs> right. I, I do well because that's the thing, right? If he's if he puts part two on there, you already know part one. He but, doesn't need to he doesn't need to put all of it. I can't absorb all of Pink Floyd, all of these albums in five days. See, part one, or actually parts one through five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's parts one through five, and then at the end it's parts six through nine. Right. Yeah. That that song, if you want to talk about it collectively as one song, it's it's like five movements. It kind of is, yeah. Um, first of all, it has three guitar solos. The third guitar. This is one question I wish I could just ask David Gilmore. David Gilmore, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> call in, man, please, because <laughs> the third, when he hits that first note, it's seven minutes and twelve seconds in. It like the whole earth just shatters when he hits into the that solo but here's the thing every single live version they've ever recorded and released they skip that section huh they do parts one through four and then go into the rest they skip that one part interesting and it blows my mind and it's very frustrating to me as a fan i mean like (laughs) It's like, I don't know if you've seen this, the, the TikTok going around with the kids. I'm so stressed, this little kid. That's how I feel when I listen to all the live versions because I like, I'm getting in the mood and I'm in that spot and I'm like, oh like yeah, here it comes, up. here it comes. What did they do? <laughs> huh, interesting. That's, that's the burning question that I will have on my deathbed. How about that? That's, that is, fa- it, 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 it makes me think of like when I was, going to the like when I had read all the Lord of the Rings books before Two Towers came out mm. and I went to see Two Towers and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see Gandalf whip Saruman's ass <laughs> your, your staff is broken or why did it's they like, leave out Tom Bombadil it's like you know why they left out Tom Bombadil <laughs> um, but and then it's like okay it's like oh it's not at the end of Two Towers I'm like you know what it's okay that makes sense where they needed to end it maybe it'll be in the extended edition of Two Towers and then it wasn't, it's okay, Return of the King is going to come out in a few months. It'll be in there. And then it wasn't in Return of the King. I was like, it's okay, it's going to be in the extended edition of Return of the King. And then it was finally there. But by that point, I'd waited like three was years. Was that not in the theatrical release? It wasn't. Had to, cut, had to cut something. My like perception that. of those movies is long skewed. <laughs> oh, I I have no perception of what is not the extended cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. But yeah, like the feeling you're describing it, yeah. it it's like oh, it, 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 it. right. That's why, why I, I that just I yeah. can't I can't listen to those live versions anymore because I, it's so frustrating. I don't get that resolution because that right, that section right. is so. It's so emotional for me. I mean, I'm serious. I know I'm kind of playing it up, but I'm absolutely serious. I well, rightfully I so. I mean, we we're we're like you know almost eighty hours deep into you know talking about music. So obviously, music is quite emotional for <laughs> quite us, quite all right, as well. So, so I guess the other thing is I left off some things like that, for example, or like a lot of other stuff on the wall. Uh, I mean, you got to leave something for him to go discover on his own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he eventually comes around. As if. <laughs> yeah. So you, as someone, you know, Shay, who, who, who knows 
Pink Floyd. So what what did you think of this playlist? Um, so or or how would you what would, you, what would I have done differently? What would you have done differently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If given the same constraints. Okay, if given the same constraints, you, I probably I probably would have like, gone ahead and done us versus them in any color you like, just to round it out and been like deal with it. I mean that, that would be the then, rest this, of, then throw on Great Gig in the Sky and you get the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Like, literally, um, like just the whole album. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there have to be cuts. I, I thought that um, the choice of goodbye, goodbye blue sky from the wall, fantastic choice. I love the way they play with time signatures in that, and and I love the just the the melodic nature of it that also feels like rambling. And and yet that just really inhabits the lyrics. Um, I thought that and Mother go well together. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I forget now if they're right next to each other on the album or not. I think they might be. I believe so. I might have switched the order around actually on those. Yeah, I think I think Goodbye Blue Sky was probably my favorite. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's Mother and Blue Sky. Okay, cool. So the reason I picked those two, because I almost put the first like four tracks on the first album on, mm. on, on the first disc as well, like in the flesh to another breaking the wall part two. Um, cause I love that section too, but I wanted, I, I did mother, goodbye, blue sky, uh, and then Hey you, and then comfortably numb to run like hell. Mm-hmm. And that's like a four track spread. But I felt like those sections kind of give you a decent overview of everything that's on the wall. Right. Uh, and they all go well. They 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 each are their own section. Yeah, and they sort of work well standalone as as best they now, can. The I, I will say something that's probably anathema to most Pink Floyd fans. I just don't like money. I just I never could get into that. It's like my oh, least man. favorite track. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Oh, I, I love that song. <laughs> That's probably like the, that's probably the only Pink Floyd song I can like play all the way through mm. as well. I love that solo so much. It's it's I mean, the the solo is the best part of the song because I hate I hate how they're playing seven right there. I think it's so <laughs> stupid. I think it's just so lame. It's just like forced or it just do an extra beat. Like it's it's dumb. Mm. I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> Hard disagree. Um, but okay. <laughs> No, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. Um, but you can hate I, it. I don't. I definitely don't. Um, Capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, you love money so much. Yeah, it's totally the lyrical content that bothers me. Yeah, for sure. Uh huh. No, it. Um. No, 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 no. I, I think it's just. I think that honestly, probably the reason that. The, the guitar solo I think works as well as it does is because they do go to four there. Um, and it's the, it's probably the tension and the contrast is why yeah. that feels like such a release is because of all of the tension and wonkiness. For sure. Cause um, once you get there, you're just like, yeah, just yeah. straight ahead. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, there's, there's, I was like, Oh yeah. Like you're going to, yeah. Cause you can't solo in seven, you asshole. That's why you did this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he probably if, could. I was going to say, if anybody could, David Gilmore. 
could yeah. write he could write a solo in seven and then play it back for you. Um he just bend notes for like fifteen minutes straight. That's all he's <laughs> he would do. just he would just do the same thing. That's like, kind of all he does, and it's amazing. He's got the most incredible phrasing. And that's all he just do 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 an extra beat at the end. That's all he would do. Probably. yeah, his his phrasing and his bends are like that's that's what I that's what I come for more than anything else. That's and I think I I really think that he is such a great illustration of you could have the same picks, the same guitar, the same gear, yep, yep. the same knowledge base, the same every single thing, and you will never sound like David Gilmour. It's in his fingers. Yeah, it's the whole thing of like hand a guitar, hand the same guitar to any like two players, and they sound different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like no one, yeah, no one can do what he does. Mm-mm. So, so when I think about Pink Floyd, you know, the, the, there's there's Roger Waters and there's David Gilmour. Mm-hmm. I don't know who is who. So you know the like when you whenever you listen to this playlist and you you hear somebody who sounds like crazy and a bit manic mm-hmm. in ways, that's Roger Waters. Yeah. Okay. It's like a bit like high strung, unbridled. Yeah. Are you talking about vocals or are you talking vocals, about yes. Okay. Yeah. Roger Waters plays bass, Gilmore guitar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the, yeah. but they do share vocal duties like throughout. Yeah. Okay. So until he was gone. I need, so I need, I need like a tangible example mm-hmm. um, of which is which vocal wise. Uh, the one that pops into my head is on time. Roger Waters is the one who it opens it and Gilmore does the chorus. Okay. But that's not as noticeable. Let me see. Um, so that's Waters. Okay. So like a bit like more extreme, a bit more like yeah, more rock and roll. I guess, but it's, to me, it's more like I don't want to say whiny because that's not true, but it's like strained, and more aggressive. Yeah, yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, it's, I guess like rock and roll's fine. Yeah, and then the smoothness and here. The, this is Gilmore. Oh, has a little bit more of that like. That like English affect, yes, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that, I guess that's what it is, really. Is that I don't know where they're from, but Waters sounds like he's more like he's got a much more extreme British accent. Like when you try to imitate someone from Britain at doing an accent, mm. Roger Waters sounds more like that. Okay, and Gilmore just sounds more like an old British dude. Okay, so all right, so but those those smooth ass fucking vocals. That's Gilmore. David Gilmore. That's David Gilmore. Oh, yeah. man. He plays like he sings. Yeah. Oh, man. What he a, sings what like a loss to their sound that's going to be um, <laughs> when he's gone. No, he stays. He's it. Oh, Roger. He's, he's yeah, Roger Waters. Roger Waters leaves. Yes. Well, he is the one who stays. Well. And actually, <laughs> here's... I, I bet you could get someone to sound like Roger Waters. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and, and, and here's the other scandalous comment I'll make. The post-Roger Waters... Phase of Pink Floyd is actually my favorite. It's it's different, but there's a lot of great stuff there. It really is. I mean, I'll say this as as whole albums, the Roger Waters David Gilmer era pumped out consistently good products. 
more than the post Roger Waters. Yeah. But the David Gilmore post Roger Waters era Floyd has some of the most amazing songs that in their catalog, in my opinion. Stay tuned next week. (laughs) (laughs) Next time on. So when in in 1998, um, I went and saw Metallica in concert. Jerry Cantrell opened. Oh, and now this was this was reload tour. It was reload tour, and it was Boggy Creek, right? Boggy Depot. Depot. Yeah, Boggy Depot. You're right. 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 Little fact. Little fact. So sorry to interrupt, Mm -hmm. but this is important. My go-to mental image when I have to pee in a public restroom <laughs> and I'm having a shy bladder as I imagine the, the album cover, cover of Boggy Depot. Standing in the water? And there's something about like imagining <laughs> someone with their waist or my oh, waist wow. submerged that like I, I, I can be in like a sea of urinals at like a concert. <laughs> Every one of them filled. There's a line waiting. That's... That's what lets me relax. All right, amazing. I, that's that's my go-to. It's my go-to image. Damn. Well, this this pertains. <laughs> How do you move on from that? I forgot about that album. Honest, that's a pretty oh, good album. It's such a, I just listened to it a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a while, and I was just reminded of what a great record it is. Awesome. That tour was within one of Lane Staley's like MIA cycles where he just kind of was gone. I mean, that was after they did Unplugged. So that was like the last yeah. thing that they kind of did with him. When mm-hmm. did he die? Not 2002. Oh. They did Unplugged in 96 and they didn't do anything else past that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And yeah. so, because a lot of people think like they did that and he kind of was gone, like kind of like Kurt Cobain. Right. You know? right. But, but he oh, died he, like eight years later. Yeah. So in 98, he was just kind of MIA and his band, Jerry Cantrell's band was Alice in Chains minus Lane Staley, Hmm. plus the keyboardist from Fishbone. Okay. Nice. And Chris DeGarmo from Queensryche. And they played like three or four Alice in Chains songs. They played three or four Jerry Cantrell songs. And then they played the last four tracks from Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, cool. And that's how they yeah. ended their set. And oh my God, it was so good. Wow. I'm it was so incredible. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was like out of all the shows I've seen, that's one of the highlights of every show I've ever seen is them playing those last four songs. Those guys. You know, it's just oh, oh man, that sounds incredible. That sounds so organic. Yeah, too. Like yeah. that, you know, like back to like man, right? we love these songs. Let's just play them. Like yeah, a, like okay, a, why not? Right. Yeah. Well, like a third of your set being fucking cover songs. Well, they, from one band, from one album. Yeah. That's well, so, and then what it was yeah. was they started with us and them, and the crowd went nuts. And then they kept going, <laughs> and the crowd went nuts, and they kept going, and it was like, oh wow, oh man! And then when they finished the the last song, it was like, that's it. Wow. Okay, wow. that's a good place to stop. That is a hell of an ending. Yeah, <laughs> man. Damn. Um. So, how much do you? How much do y'all think, respectively? That you know, David Gil, maybe David Gilmore influenced y'all as guitar players. Mm. Influenced as guitar players, probably not much. How much do you think Pink Floyd 
as a whole influenced you as a guitar player or songwriter or anything like that? Well, he's the only guitar player, so not much. Well, god damn it, you know. What I mean. <laughs> but songwriting and all that stuff, probably not much. Probably not much. No. What about you? I would say, because I don't know if you remember this or not. I showed you the That Devil, the Truth record, mm-hmm. and you were like, does he like Pink Floyd? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that David Gilmore is who I aspire to play like. Okay. Like, so, so. If, if, if I could narrow down every guitar influence, there's not much past David Gilmore to me. Um, songwriting, I don't know that I've ever really tried to see how much they've influenced my songwriting as a band. But when I approach a solo, it really is like, what would David do? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's that's how I approach playing. So he's pretty monolithic influence on you. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you have people that say, well, I, I, you know, it was Jimmy Page or it was this person, Jimmy yeah, Hendrix sure. or whatever. It's just always been David Gilmore for Interesting. me. Interesting. So he's he's your some Mount Rushmore. He's my guy. For... He's my person. <laughs> <laughs> which all which does all the more why it pisses me off when they skip that <laughs> that that solo. Fair. Jolly good. Because I'm like emotionally invested. Okay. Right. Well, you get through the first four parts of that, and you're like, "Where's the fifth? Yeah, it's why like, okay, they've do done that? the keyboard. Now here comes the other guitar. I wonder. There has to be a. Someone yeah. knows. The internet must know. Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Like, if I could write like Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Like that would be aspiration. Like I would, yeah, that would go for that because that's, like you said, like we said earlier, sort of he's sort of a singular voice in the way that he uh, that he writes his parts and especially solos. Like mm-hmm. his phrasing is it like the biggest yeah. thing really. It's just uh, it feels, and to to hear him tell it, like read his interviews and stuff, like he just sort of does whatever and then kind of goes back and fixes things that didn't quite work. But he always like he's a big proponent of like catch it in the moment and that's mm-hmm. where you're going to find your best stuff. Yeah. And then sort of make adjustments as necessary. But, uh, and a lot of his stuff kind of feels that way. It feels very organic. It feels very, it's like, I'm going to do something that just feels right. He just emotes. Yeah. But he can do it in such a way that it weaves into the, not always the song, but just like the mood, I guess. As, as cliched so, yeah. as it is to <clears throat> talk about comfortably numb, um, I mean, that last guitar solo when he just unleashes, and and even the live versions, man, yeah. the, the live versions can just almost bring me to tears because it's just so emotional. This one, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean that's undeniably incredible. That's yep. There's a reason it's always like up there on the like best of all time list. Yep. There are three three solos in that song. Yeah. Yeah. All fucking incredible. They're all different. <clears throat> yeah, they're all very different. Yeah. So in the like guitar player community, quote unquote, if you will, is he is he like considered, you know, there with, you know, Eddie Van Halen and 
Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Van Page and Randy Van Rhodes. <laughs> um, I think to, to a small subsect, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Like two guitar nerds, probably. Yeah. But to music, like to music lovers in general, probably not. Yeah. Because they'd probably be like, Eddie Van Halen fucking treads, dude. He's not flashy. Exactly. It's extremely like subtle. Yeah. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. A flashy in, in spurts, like the end of that. Yeah. Song is like extremely like well, here's everything I got. You know? Well, but it's not his. Like y'all are saying, the solos seem incredibly expressive and creative, but maybe not necessarily um, like groundbreakingly technical. No. Yeah, not really. Like maybe they are, and I and I just I'm and I just didn't I just didn't pick that up on my first listen. I mean, I, at the heart, he's a blues player. I mean, when you boil it all down, he's he's a blues player. Turn it off. He sounds way better. But (laughs) no, no, no. I mean, if you look at his scales, his use of pentatonic scales, his his use of uh, emotion, he he approaches the guitar like a blues player. But he approaches the guitar like a blues player who is absolutely in love with music and very high. I mean, I don't know that he is. I don't know. But it's like he's coming from a completely different realm than like uh, an Eric Clapton who ruins everything. <laughs> Agreed. Um, <laughs> Agreed, honestly. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck Clapton. John, for sure. that was for you. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, like to me, yeah, I, I agree with that. Exactly. And it feels more to me like he is doing what he would do if he were singing a part over a song yeah, um, yeah. than playing guitar, but he makes it work as a solo. And the, the, as far as technicality goes, like the thing that he's always, that people always point to for him are his bends. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like doing like two and a half step bends, which is fucking oh, ludicrous. Okay. Uh, but he does it in such a way that um, it's clean. He's very clean. He's very precise, very precise. And he's oh. very, uh, yeah, there's no other way to say it. like he's just very measured about it. He's very like very consistent, very consistent and clean about it. Which like most people just aren't, especially blues players. Just like just do whatever just fucking go. feels. Yeah, sure. But he does that. But he does it in a way that it feels like perfect. And I will say that some of his technicality, though, where, where his technicality does come into play, is in some of his rhythms, like his yeah. use of of like tape delay and slap. Um, I think that was that really set the tone. I can't believe I'm going to say this for people like the edge, you know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 3000%. I mean, yeah. as a fan of you too, like whatever, <laughs> what song was it? Oh my God. Run like hell. Run like hell. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So yeah. There's when this it... huge fat delay all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. When it got to that. Totally. That's a, um, a YouTube riff. Basically it's. Yeah. yeah. I was like proto YouTube. Streets have no names. Damn near. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute. Is this also like halfway the bullet hits the bone song? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wow. Who is that? When the bullet hits the bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is that? When the bullet hits the bone. I can't remember. (laughs) I know what you're talking about. It's so close. I don't know if it's the same chords or like, or or you know what I mean? Or it's, it's, there's, there's. And if you go back and you look at the chord structure of Comfortably Numb, Mm -hmm. that is absolutely silent lucidity. Back to Queen's Ooh. The chorus. Especially. In fact, it is the chorus. I'll have to go listen to those side by side again. 80s, the decade that Floyd wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, yeah. in a lot of ways, a lot of circles. So, 
Um, another rando question for you, Robert, yes. because there's, do you feel like in any way, I know this is kind of a stretch, but fuck it. Um, that because they use a lot of synth in here, there's, there's like a lot of keys and a lot of synth used. So, so the band is Roger Waters on bass and vocals, David Gilmore on guitar and vocals. Fuck. Who's on, who's on, who's on what? Nick Mason's Nick drummer? Nick Mason drums. This is a drummer. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Wright. Richard Wright on keyboards. Okay. And that's just what he does in that band. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, it's just I, those four guys, four instruments. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't know no. if it was, I almost thought that it was maybe a, um, like that it was maybe just, I, th- I almost wondered if it was like a Steely Dan kind of thing mm. where it was just, you know, David and Roger. And then like they kind of, one of them kind of did keys and then they had other people come in to fill right. in the random spots that they couldn't do. Yeah. But that it was mostly all them and a drummer was, I almost wondered if it was that sort of setup. But, but, but so how long, when is Richard Wright in the band? He's the whole time, I think. The whole existence uh, of the band? I'm pretty sure he's the whole, yeah. He got, was he the one that got kicked out during the recording of Wish You Were Here? And he was gone for like an album and a half, but then he came back. <laughs> I oh. thought you were going to say, and he was gone for like an hour? <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half. Yeah. That, that album actually was about him. They wanted him to come back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wish, wish You wrote, Were Here. They yeah. wrote the lyrics afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <sighs> Makes sense. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I can't remember that exactly, but sounds like something that probably happened. So yeah, they were all pissed at each other. So the, the the shit I was gonna throw at the wall is like, do you feel like this set, in any way, sort of set you up to be as into like synth wave and electronic music, and to have that door mm-hmm. open to you in the way that it is? Probably doesn't hurt. It's like especially for stuff like synth wave, which is much more about the tonality of it all, mm-hmm. as opposed to like because the doors have. A keyboard player, but, but that's so different. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Like, it's the it's kind of the same ballpark, but it, those are completely different things. Yeah, the, yeah, the keyboardist yeah. is doing something different there, basically. Right. right yeah, because the keyboards here is is much more about about texture. Texture, than, yes, exactly. Than it is about being a. I mean, even being a part of the rhythm section. Yeah, which is very much what um, the keyboard player in the Doors is. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's like, you know. I mean, I mean, I love that shit. Same, like, yeah. But I love them a, both. But it's a different kind of thing. You yeah. Know? So in that sense, I think maybe I could see that. Okay. I could see that having been having like laid some some sort of a foundation. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. Cool. I mean, so like now that you say that, I'm I'm thinking back, and I don't, I I couldn't say like in all of these songs that I always know that he's there. That's why I thought that it was like someone else or, you know what I mean? That's why I didn't, I, it didn't even occur to me that there's a dedicated keyboard player. Right. Because there's not, it doesn't seem omnipresent. Now that, now that we bring this up, I'm wondering if he did, if maybe he did percussion at times too or something like that. I don't know. That's, that's not really positive. interesting to me. Are you digging into this? I am actually. Okay. Um, and so, because it is, <clears throat> Yeah, I I do I do think that I said it sort of earlier, but um, I'll just kind of before we look at like individual tracks or whatever, I'll just kind of dig into sort of my main summary here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really strange because so much of this is so close to things that I really really like, <laughs> but then sometimes it zigs when I expect it to zag. And I check the fuck out. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Um, so a good example of that is at a minute 50 of the song Sheep. Okay. When it comes into like when, the shuffle, when it comes in. Yeah, when it comes into the shuffle beat or whatever. Like I was my notes on that song were I really like this. Well, I did. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and so it's like and I didn't I didn't realize it was two singers also, which is which mm. is pretty pretty fascinating too. And it's like I love the sound of the singer's voice, but every now and again the phrasing and the lyrics turn me off. And I think it's I think it's because I've seen a lot of mediocre jam bands who are influenced influenced by Pink Floyd, <laughs> and I think that it gives them permission to meander, and a kind of a permission to because sometimes like the because they're they're playing with philosophy and like contradiction and shit like that, you know if this is this if this and that then not then this then you know and all that sort of stuff and I think that sometimes. If you are in the middle of finding your voice and you're performing that music live and you're inspired by that, it's just going to be word salad and you're just, it's just going to sound like you're just not committing and like you're just not saying anything. Sure. And so every now and again, there will be like a few lines in a row that reminds me of other bands I've seen do that. This is not a knock on Pink Floyd. It's just, this is just trying to like tease out like, why does this, some of this hit me as weird, hit me. As weird as it does, given my experience, right? And so, I think that's one one of the threads, you know. So, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, Pink Floyd lyrics are not necessarily what I'm there for. Mm. Some of them are fantastic, yeah, but some of them I could kind of just leave. I will say I feel the exact same way until the post Waters era. David Gilmore is such a fantastic songwriter. His mm. words are really what pull me in. And then the music on like Momentary Lapse, mm -hmm. um, Division, Division Bell. Bell. Um, yeah, those just really hit me. I, I do, <clears throat> do want to clarify that I do think all of the lyrics, because I, I read the lyrics mm -hmm. while I was listening to it. I do think all of the lyrics in, in Pink Floyd are really top notch yeah. and really amazing. So just, just to be clear, but uh, I guess like maybe like the song mother where it's, it's just, it's almost just like a lot of questions mm -hmm. and not all of them. It's kind of abstract and not all of them flow together. <clears throat> and sure. so, and like, I think it's great. I think that's a great song, but I could see, how someone who is influenced by that would make that I, I know that I have seen people influenced by that kind of thing mm, gotcha. and they just make a song that's 10 minutes and is a bunch of rambling, rambling poetry and doesn't have a single hook in it. I could see right. that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny for, for me, mother is encapsulated with, and it's kind of cliche at this point, but, um, when the Berlin Wall fell, mm -hmm. I just remember seeing a picture of a piece of the Berlin Wall where somebody had graffitied on it, Mother, should I trust the government? Mm. Right, right, right. And, you know, Pink Floyd has always been so politically driven. Um, Animals was pretty much uh, kind of loosely based on Animal Farm. Mm -hmm. And it was a critique of capitalism and all these other things. They've just, they've, they've got such 
a political bent to their music um, that I think Mother is the pinnacle of that to me for that right. critique. Right. That makes sense to me. So so the songs from The Wall specifically on here, like I said earlier, like they're kind of hard to take out of context and really like get a good handle on mm-hmm. because there's so much – like The Wall, more than any of these other albums, is about the album. Mm-hmm. Sure. Rather than any individual song. So there's like, there's all these threads running through it. Uh, it's more obvious if you watch the movie, I guess, because they spell it out for you visually. Uh, but even just reading the lyrics, like there's, he's, it's, it's, it's about a central character, Pink, basically, right? This famous musician. Right. Uh, right. So he's got, he's got mother issues, obviously. He was like, mis, not mistreated necessarily, but like, What's the word? Like, his mother tried to smother him, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right, so some of that in there. Uh, his father went off to World War II and died. Huge theme through the album. All these themes, like, weave in and out of all the songs. Yeah. Beginning to end. Uh, he's a big rock star. He's trying to deal with fame and everything that comes with that. Um, he's cut off emotionally from friends, family. Or like, he has no, like, close bonds. And so loneliness and getting in your own head and all these different things sort of weave in and out and eventually coalesce into the end of the album, which everything just kind of, he's got all these problems and the wall is what he builds up around himself metaphorically to keep all this shit out and to keep himself safe, basically. At the end, it comes down and he's got to deal with that. That's the whole thing. Doesn't sound autobiographical in any way. <laughs> you know, and it's it's interesting because it was also you know Roger Waters um, has talked about when they toured this album before the movie ever came out. Mm-hmm. His goal, and they 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 pulled this off, was that throughout the set, um, he felt like it was so autobiographical of their experience as a band yeah that they had become such a machine that they'd been cut off from their audience and so that was the tour that they yeah yeah and so one by one stagehands would come out and put these big white bricks and Mm -hmm. they literally built a wall during the first half of the show and then intermission and then the second half they played behind the wall like this big middle finger to their fans and to the machine wow and then at the end, the whole thing just comes crashing down. Yeah. But they could only play the. They they could only do like so many shows because it was such an expensive thing right. to do. So they couldn't oh. do it too many times. So I guess if you saw that, like that was a lucky. rare. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Wild. That's fascinating, man. Yeah. Um. So speaking of like the wall and that story, so what's the story? with the uh song because it is clear even just from the because I, I i knew that already kind of yeah right? this is you know? stuff you probably picked up over time it's just in the osmosis. ether you yeah, know totally um but even just listening to the tracks it is clear that there is there is a bigger sort of narrative and a story going on so what's the story with the song um in the flesh in the flesh yeah i figured you probably have questions about that well because because it does sort of say like something like it like there's a different band is like the idea and it's a like a band that's impersonating them or, or something or mm-hmm. whatever. If I remember correctly, in the in the story of the album, it's basically like they're the the powers that be over the band are trying to get him out there and perform uh-huh. and they give him 
they, drugs at that point, I guess is what it is. It really? goes back to a story of Sid Barrett where oh, sure. Sid was so like gone. He'd, he'd done so much acid that they were supposed to play a show and they couldn't, they, they, he, they couldn't find him. And so when they, I think it was somebody, one of their, their team, but it wasn't somebody in the band finds him in like this closet or something. And he's just almost incapacitated and have to pump him full of all this adrenaline and, you know, all these other drugs to just try to even get him lucid enough to get out there. They end up having, that was the reason why they brought David Gilmore in, um, was to help because Sid was the guitarist, vocalist. And this idea that the only way you can truly protect yourself from such a demanding public is to put on a persona. Mm. That you become this thing so that you, because to be transparent is to vulnerable. And they'd spent so much of their career being vulnerable and they were just done with that vulnerability. Yeah. So, so so at that point in the movie and in the, the, like the the uh, fiction of the album hmm. or whatever, Pink. He's literally just at a pulpit at a rally in Nazi garb, essentially. Yeah. Like with armband and all this shit, uh, like pointing people out as the lyrics say. Yeah. Yeah. Like put him up against the wall and fucking get him out of here. I thought you were gonna say that um, he just was pretending he was Eric Clapton <laughs> at a show. <laughs> And talk about another influence, <laughs> though. If you look at that scene in the movie, you'll I think you'll really appreciate this yeah, this yeah. illusion. If you look at that scene in that in the movie when he's, you know, in, in this arena with these black and red banners everywhere it's and the just, symbology. It's just the Third Reich. It is. Yeah, straight up. But that's exactly, I think, what Marilyn Manson oh, was yeah. ripping off in a lot of his stage For shows. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it's clear, too. Um, before I say this, um, I was referencing a specific speech that Eric Clapton gave in the late 70s. Oh, yeah. For yes. anyone who's who's curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he really does ruin everything. He ruined the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speeches. Pink Floyd <laughs> almost saved the 70s, but Clapton had to come in and fucking ruin it all. did right there at the end. Uh, <sighs> this shit. But no, uh, it's very clear, especially oddly enough, especially on the album Mechanical Album, Mechanical Albums, <laughs> Albums. <laughs> Mechanical Animals, where you sort of checked out of Marilyn Manson, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorites. Mm. But after listening to all this Pink Floyd, it's very clear that that is like almost inspiration number one mm. for okay. Marilyn Manson on that album. Wow, and I'm so, gonna have to go back and listen to that one again now. So there is one specific section actually that I'm going to show y'all because uh, let me find it. Do 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 do. Yeah, so Speed of Pain 249. So there's a, a section where it's like, oh, you were definitely influenced by the song. When I when I got to brain damage, mm. um, there's a section in that 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 Marilyn Manson just kind of just basically rips off, um, but I mean like in a good way. Let me see. So. Mm-hmm. Like as the, the the background vocals, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like the, you know, 
you know when he's not it, doing the way the, that it lands is just like it something there's something that lands like almost the exact same way in brain yeah. i always felt that when he when marilyn manson kind of pulls away from the industrial sound he's he's really got a david bowie-esque feel well man in his songwriting at least i i have some strong opinions about all that <laughs> and, and i feel like the the greatest I feel like Mechanical Albums is the highlight of his career. Did I say it again? That's yeah, you did. Mechanical you Albums. Did. It wasn't. That wasn't on purpose. It wasn't. <laughs> it was perfect. Oh, man, straight faced. Um, great. Yeah, man. Well, I've been in this room. See, I was late to the, today. I was late to the to the Marilyn Manson thing. Well, it, when I came in at 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 Eat Me Drink Me, that was mm, like a straight up Bowie record. Mm. Oh, so yeah. I feel like. Where Marilyn Manson made, because he, he, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate, but I know for me, as, because Antichrist, you know, like, the first few records are amazing, you know, Portrait of American Family is this really incredible, unique, weird rock record, mm-hmm. um, Antichrist Superstar is one of, is just one of the greatest rock albums mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, usually influential on me. Mechanical albums, mechanical animals. <laughs> just, just. I'm leaning into mechanical love, albums. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so his lean into it. His third full length, <laughs> mechanical albums, um, was such a hard turn from Antichrist Superstar. Mm-hmm. But the songs are so good, and mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite albums, my favorite animals of all time. There you go, and. So, but then for the next one, Hollywood, he kind of like, it felt like he went back to the well. See, I liked Hollywood. But again, I didn't follow the progression like you did. It's to me, there's some songs on there that I like. Don't get me wrong. But but that's whenever, when that record comes out, that's whenever I stop mm-hmm. liking Marilyn Manson albums mm. and start liking a few of the songs on his albums. Yeah. Right. Which I like a few of the songs on Hollywood. I like a few of the songs on Golden Age, the grotesque. I like a few of the songs on eat me, drink was, me was, or whatever. Uh, was Hollywood. Roll, the, dig a bug, buzz, ziggity, zag. You know, that's on Golden Age. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. But it becomes a different thing. It almost, he almost becomes like a parody of himself on the and from the Antichrist Superstar era, mm. where he, it felt like really dangerous, so that really was inspired his, and really dangerous. So that was his YouTube Pop Mart stage. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> going back to that, huh? See, we, we got opinions. <laughs> you know what? I'll, 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 I'm going to try to be mature here, and, right. and I'll, I'll, I know that my opinions of you two are not the standard. Narrative on that band, and I'll and I'll defer to you, the elder statesman, um, <laughs> as far as the true, you know, where someone should place pop in relation to the rest of U2's records. So I know I know that it's file. my personal favorite, mm-hmm. but that's because I came at it at a very unique time. With, <laughs> but whatever, yeah. So yeah. Every, I mean, everybody's everybody likes different things. Some people like things that suck. Some people like good no, stuff. I mean, man. I mean, look at Marilyn Manson now. He's like hanging out in church with Kanye. Yeah, that ain't great. 
<laughs> Everybody loses. <laughs> Kanye loses. Manson loses. The church loses. Justin Bieber is there too, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They got that dick root pastor or whatever. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a, was that a description or his name? I I th- I I don't know where I Reverend have, Dick Root. I have saying? like this idea in my head of like he's just, he's like really ripped and like walks around with like his shorts like hanging down and you see like how cut he is. <laughs> Some people call that a Dick Root. Okay, I've never heard that. Okay. Some people call it cum gutters. <laughs> also, I've never heard that. Really, who are these, a, who are these people? <laughs> well. <laughs> I, that was in a Rick and Morty episode, I think, the whole cum oh, gutter okay. thing. But, um, okay. yeah, I don't know. This, you know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> mechanical granimals. We're back to yeah, that. Yeah, granimals. Let's go back to that. But, uh, <laughs> mechanical, mechanical granimals. But anyway, I feel like, I feel like there was a, I think um, there's a channel. Yeah, probably. There is, there was a turning point for Marilyn Manson's career where on mechanical animals, if he would have said, fuck y'all, I am, I'm going to keep going down this Bowie path. Mm. I feel like he would have, I feel like there's an alternate timeline where he does that and he stays very relevant as mm. an artist. Yeah. I can see um, that. And, but again, it's, it's also, if I had to like, you know, because, not, the, because the problem there was that he he regressed, right? Yeah, he just tried to go back to what he knew or what people knew right, before. Because right? there is nothing that connects Antichrist Superstar to Mechanical Animals. That is a hard turn progression, right? And you, if you do that, I feel like you you don't get you you can't like you can't you, go back yeah <laughs> you can't un, you can't put the genie back in the bottle right yeah you have to you have to like if if see i it was that... only okay for metallica to do it because they took like 15 years to do it or whatever like if they would have if they if reload would have been them trying to do the black album part two or them trying to do like a thrash record i don't know that that they would matter yeah today not, not at the way that they I, did, and see that's not exactly the way that they do. that's exactly how I feel about Beck's sea change, huh? That it was so divergent from the rest of his catalog. It was like, oh, this is really good. Not that I didn't like his stuff before, but I mean, just this the sonic feel, the lyrics. It's very serious. There's no joking around. It's not lighthearted. Hmm. And then when he followed that up with, uh. Wero, I was like, oh, he went back. But then he came back and he did Morning Phase. <laughs> that was like Sea Change Part 2. And it's just, it, it kind of completes that picture. But Beck is a little bit different, just a little different than Marilyn Manson. Um, I kind of give him that latitude. I'm a huge Beck fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant. I do remember going and seeing him live with a friend of mine, like... Sea change is like, I think it was in 2014, 2015. It was on the morning phase when he was touring that one. I was there. We saw each other. Yeah, probably. Saw yeah, him. we probably ran to. We've ran into each other at that venue multiple uh, times yes. on accident. Yeah. Wait, crazy. you were David Rice? No, David. David. Uh, Damien Rice. Damien Rice. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Um, nice. And so. And swell season. Weren't you swell season? They didn't play there, but, but they played at Warehouse Live. I was there. That was you and you and, uh, and Jess. Jess's first yeah. date. I yeah. was there for that. We didn't find that out until years into us being friends. 
which was interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm just this. I'm just <laughs> this fixture in our lives. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, the, in the background sometimes. Uh, but I, I do remember it being really weird being in that arena whenever because it's a pretty. It's a. I mean, you know, like people aren't singing every word. Like it's like, yeah. oh, this is nice. But when he did "Loser," and that whole place <laughs> screams, yeah, like a Slipknot concert. Well, I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? I was like, this is weird. That that feels weird. It was strange. Yeah. Um, because a Beck concert's really just like Beck playing for a party. Man, what a fucked up sad party. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that that was not a party. Oh. Well, that's just the one song. I mean, cuz I can I can picture people it was a good from concert, don't get me wrong. I can picture people from all walks of life going to a Beck show. Mhm. But Loser is the touchstone, I feel like, for all of them. Yeah. Everybody knows that song. Everybody doesn't know Devil's Haircut or I love Devil's Haircut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great song. <laughs> You know, or, or or anything, even like uh, where it's at, or yeah, you know, the other mm-hmm. big stuff from that time period. Yeah, yeah. I it, it was it was just specifically yeah the and then because all, that song like exploded in such a weird way that songs yeah, just don't really do very often. Right, and the yeah. beauty of that song was it was a joke. Mm. And there is like I don't I don't have like the language to like really. I'm not trying to like throw shit around, but I, it was something that did occur to me at that uh, at the time was like. This dude is, this dude is playing like really whited up black music for a white audience. Mm-hmm. He's putting those elements in there, and I feel like this is the first time I'm noticing yeah. that being a thing. Hmm. hmm. You know, but it's okay because he's a Scientologist. <laughs> Along with. <laughs> If 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 cultural appropriation was the only thing that Scientology made okay, I, I that would probably that probably wouldn't be that bad, right? Um, considering the rest of the things that that Scientology seems to make okay yeah. for its practitioners, yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I'm just commenting on 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 that it was it was it it, it was just a it was a weird it was a weird moment. Um, so, but. I don't know, man. It was still a good show. Like it's it great fun. music. He he executed. Well, yeah, you were there. I'm talking about like you weren't there. <laughs> um, did it? Did that moment strike you as weird at all, or were you just like? I was a little annoyed. Really? I was annoyed. I'm that guy. Okay. It's like everybody knows this song. This is what everybody's gonna sing. Okay, all right. I'm just gonna shut up now. Mm-hmm. You're like, I yeah, wish you would have opened it. with it, so all these posers left. <laughs> right. Like, get <laughs> that on. one out of there. Just go ahead and do it, and then not hang on to it for the encore or anything no, that's, right. that's like, gotta be the encore right yeah like, of course it is you're yeah. like why can't you sack up like Ben Folds and just never play Brick again right <laughs> tell people to fuck off on that. <laughs> or Radiohead <laughs> with Creep um, oh do they like not not play that no nah. yeah I feel like after probably after the Bins came out they were like a different band at that yeah. point because that first <laughs> album's so different yeah it's very different yeah um so, but yeah, Pink Floyd. Oh, and there's another. <laughs> yeah, right. Remember that. But there is another track on that Marilyn Manson album that that specifically reminded that it's just it's just so clear that he's pulling from this era mm. of music. There's a song called "Fundamentally Loathsome," 
And I was listening it today and I was like, oh my God, this is totally mixed like a song from the 70s. Because for the first like two thirds of it, the drums are panned hard left. Mm. All of the drums are 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 over there. <laughs> and then sort of the climax at the, uh, you know, at the bridge or whatever, mm. it's down, you know, it comes back to down the center or whatever. But it's like, you're, this is, you're totally pulling from this era of, of music. Yeah. Uh, right, right, right. So, like when, when that was a when that was a wild studio concept was like to play with panning. Yeah, was it though? I mean, I guess to play with it, yeah. yeah. Because there's a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of jazz records where it's like like the drums are in the, like the drums and the bass are in the left or in the piano and the sax sure. are over here and yeah. shit like that. But yeah, like 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 uh, fucking on the run or whatever, where it pans back and forth the entire time. I see stuff like that was like kind of novel. Sure, at the time. Yeah. that 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 makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, and so sort of like, and then like an, another thing too about why I think that, you know, uh, Pink Floyd didn't hit with me as much before is, again, again speaking with, like, the, I think that Pink Floyd, the Pink Floyd vibe is an easy vibe, is an easier vibe for, it's an easier thing to fake. Because mm. for all... Because the language that they're using for all of their brilliant composition and brilliant songwriting and brilliant execution and brilliant record recording and production, the language they're using is still the rock language. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the jazz language. It's not it's not in it's it's not incorporating all these other things like the Grateful Dead did and whatnot. So it's it's a lot easier for mediocre jam bands to try to sound like that, this. Yeah. I mean, it's still blues rock, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do have to, like, commend them as because that's what I'm, because I stand as, I have such a high status here. No. Um, you're, able to, you're able to, that's, yeah, that's yeah. grandiose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, bestow this commendation. Yeah, I, yeah, so I yeah. No, commend is the wrong word. Usually I hate, <laughs> uh blues blues rock if yeah. it's not aerosmith i don't fucking and it's blues rock i don't fucking like it i kind of don't either um for the most part and 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 the part and the sections that i don't like are the sections that like when things come in and uh whenever everything comes in and like the song like Sheep. money or that's, oh that's not yeah because i don't like money yeah no um it's interesting that you keep fake setting on sheep though because that to me sheep is one of the more uh unique cases in all of these songs because it's it's not it's in like a progressive feeling key the the reason it's, it doesn't feel like blues rock to me the reason that i keep it's it's because it's because is it just that it goes to f like it it's the feeling i had while listening to it because it got to like the whole playlist i was like yeah this is pink floyd and then it gets to the first two minutes. I was like, this is really cool. I really, really like this. I was like, fuck. <laughs> okay. Fuck this. Okay. Um, okay. You know, but it's like if, if a band sits in that feel and they're not Aerosmith, I don't fucking like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> got time for you. And okay. so, but again, like Aerosmith isn't really 
they're 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 not really like a blues rock band. They're they're this. It's their roots, though. Not like in Stevie, not like Stevie Ray Vaughan, not like Eric Clapton. Well, like no, that no, kind no. Of thing. Um, like they're because because they, they that Stevie Ray Vaughan's just playing the blues though. Like there's yeah, for for what it's right. What it yeah, is, like because 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 yeah, there there's 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 scales of blues rock, right? Do you just mean blues with a loud drummer, right? What what do you mean when you say blues rock? And the thing that because Aerosmith does have this. Well, I think there's blues, and then there's blues rock. I mean, really, I'm not trying to be <laughs> stupid about it. It's Steve Ray Vaughan was playing the blues. Aerosmith is blues rock. Aerosmith has a different influence that that most blues, rock, blues, whatever influenced rock bands do not have, which is um, the R&B influence. I can see that because, I mean, like George Thorough, Thoroughgood mm-hmm. is blues rock. Like bad to the yeah. bone guy. And that's like the most or, boring shit in oh, yeah. imaginable. But but then the right, Georgia man. Satellites, that's blues rock. Yeah, okay. I follow you. There's basically right. everything else on the Dazed and Confused soundtrack, <laughs> apart from Aerosmith. Aerosmith. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So, and, and so, but but to, I guess, to tie this together, you know, tie that together, is like, I there was just, it's like I was sort of trying to say at the beginning, like, by the time I had heard Floyd, heard Pink Floyd, I had already been exposed to things that did tried to do these things, but did mm. them in a different way. So, mm. like my my glass was was full mm. in a way. Uh, it's full of shit. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was full of jazz. <laughs> uh, okay, is what it was. So I think that's that's a big aspect of it for me. You know. Um, I mean, I think I've had that exact same experience with other stuff, so I get it, yeah. Right, right. And and so, yeah, for whatever reason, I just wasn't um, – because I was so intensely averse to the drug scene in high school. Mm-hmm. And so anything that was associated with the drug scene, I was going to be like, fucking idiots. Oh, Pink Floyd, that's, a, that's that band those fucking idiots listen to, you know. I mean, yeah. I was the same way later on in high school with, like – raves and stuff where i was absolutely like fuck this garbage sure and all the music that came with it even though i would go on to later to like a lot of it so yeah right i i remember that whenever um my friend zach robinson came to see el severed play and he was real big in the rave scene and mm-hmm. like drum and bass and all that sort of stuff and we we incorporated some of that style of drum beat into one of our songs because I had heard it. So again, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, but I had heard it like on that Herbie Hancock record. Ah, yeah, okay. You know, so it was, it was because that's where that, that's where the shit came from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For, for me, that's where it came from was being, you know, it influencing the jazz, the jazz scene, and then being spit back to me through through that. And then Zach was like, "Oh my gosh." Did you put that in there for me? <laughs> I was like, fuck no, you idiot. I put that in there for me. <laughs> so, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, cause I, that's really kind of the, the fuel that, that's pushing this whole thing forward for me is that he, you know, you and I are so similar in so many different ways. And, and like the very first episode 
sort of articulates that like we're the same age we grew up in the same place almost um we have same socioeconomic background yeah single mothers household like right our parents list i was very clear when you look at, at the playlists that we had that sort of you know conveyed our early childhood the music our parents listened to there's a lot of overlap hmm. and so it's so fascinating to think about how wildly he and i would diverge hmm. yeah yeah and so that's why you know that's that's kind of why i wanted to talk about pink floyd anyway because it's a band that you know i mean i've made lots of music with the both of y'all <laughs> and so and y'all both love pink floyd and and i've always been like eh. Eh. do you feel like you have a little fomo <laughs> absolutely not um <laughs> i think that's the first time i've ever actually used that phrase by oh the way. okay i think you there used you it go. correctly <laughs> all right um I, I do feel like they are a guitarist's band. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. By a lot. I can see that. Uh, so maybe that's... More than any other instrument. I mean, that's that's really their focal point. Yeah. Yeah. So That makes sense. Yeah. So I was going to say... I was going to say something about the drums in relation to that. Of like, the drums are, are, really, are really tasteful and nice... Um, I feel like this is how guitar players play drums. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Or at least how they want me to play drums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be as inconspicuous as possible and yeah. let me solo for 10 minutes. <laughs> can you can you just like do less? <laughs> right. But but really solid, and then every once in a while go ba-doom doom ba-doom. Do-do. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I mean, I, I can see that, and I, you, you've, you've never, no, you, you've never given me that kind. I've never, of... <laughs> I, I don't feel that way. Yeah, you, you, you've all. It's it, that was one of the things that was always really nice about working with you is because I think you were one of the first songwriters, um, that I worked with that 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 was like, well, do do drum shit, I don't, you know, like do. What I think you, I used that exact phrase. You know, like you didn't you didn't micromanage me. Um, I like playing with you, and so I want you to be you. Sounds reasonable enough, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, no one, no one gave Nick any notes. That's exactly <laughs> how he wanted to play. Yep. <laughs> this was his show the whole time. You yeah. know, and I will He's say, like, I'm getting paid by the note. <laughs> like, I, I will say that I think that there's an interesting dynamic, and and maybe this is something to explore next time. But um, every every songwriter. I feel like there's there's always this like team and, and it, with a good songwriter there's the there's the experimental guy and there's the no mm. guy and the and what guy the no guy no guy and and every experimental person has to have that no guy like an editor basically yeah yeah <laughs> oh, I mean oh. you see that with yeah, yeah. you see that with John Lennon and Paul McCartney their okay. solo stuff both of them it's terrible in my opinion <laughs> but terrible but they, temporary secretary though. <laughs> How are we gonna? Okay, well, you see it with with like Jeff <laughs> Tweedy and 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 Jay Bennett with with Wilco. Uh, oh, Wilco. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, like oh, it was, but I mean, you know, obviously with with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, 
there's that really strong bent of Jay's for the experimental that, that Jeff did pick up, but when they parted ways, he had to replace that figure with another no person or Jeff Tweedy was just going to fall into this sort of, you know, just, I don't know. I think his, his songwriting was strong enough that, but he still needed that no person, Mm. but you do, you still have that with Roger Waters and with David Gilmore for sure. And I think when, you know, David Gilmore, for, for all of his brilliance, Roger Waters, I mean, that he, he is the wall. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet there was such a chasm between the two by the time they did the final cut, which was basically like the wall part two. Yeah. It's, it's basically a Roger Waters solo album and it suffers from it. Yeah. It's like the wall B-sides in a way. Yeah. There's yeah. some great shit on there, but like. Yeah, but it was it wasn't a cohesive masterpiece by any stretch. No. Um but again, I I don't know about where you feel. I've never gotten into either one of their solo stuff. I I've I've tried. Um mm-hmm. and I even thought, well, I, I'm not going to be able to get into the Roger Waters just because he's not David Gilmore. But I couldn't even get into David Gilmore solo stuff. So David Gilmore did stuff uh, so he carried on with Pink Floyd. I think it was later that he came back to Pink Floyd. Right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, so like, there was a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. oh after okay. Final Cut. Okay. Which Roger like, Waters went off and did solo stuff, and David Gilmour went off and did solo stuff. Okay. And then David Gilmour, Nick Mason, and Richard Wright came back, and did and did more Floyd stuff. Yeah. So he it, had the other two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When they when they came back together later on, it was everybody except. Roger Waters. Except Roger Waters. Did yeah. he keep doing solo stuff? Um, yeah. Did Roger A few Waters. years ago, did he do like Roger Waters' The Wall or something? Yes. yes. He's done okay. that a few times over the years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because okay. that really is his baby. I see. Yeah. I will say that I don't think they ever shared the stage again I don't except think... for... Was that Live Aid? Is that what it was? Live Aid 8. Yeah. They all played together again. And you could just see they had the biggest grins on their faces. Like, mm. this was it. This was the like the once in a lifetime moment they were all going to be on the same stage again. What a shame! Never happened again. Are they both still alive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. I think they're the only two still alive. I at this think point. so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh I, man, you could. Well, no, it's not true. Uh, one of them is still. One of the other guys is still alive because they just put out a new song. Oh, Nick Mason. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So he, they he's just still alive. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's him. Uh, so mm-hmm. they just put out a new song technically under the Pink Floyd name uh, with the way they did it was weird. So it's a, it's a fundraiser for Ukraine mm-hmm. and it's got vocals from a Ukrainian vocalist on it. And I think the idea was like David Gilmore heard this dude's track and was like, I want to put music to this. And so he got his like Floyd touring band that they last had back together and wrote this song Mm-hmm. And it's like a verse of vocals and then like fucking five minutes of Gilmore just soloing like a madman. It's amazing. And then some more vocals and then it's over. Mm. But they put it out under the Pink Floyd name to get like more recognition for the fundraiser. Sure. Uh, I was like, that's sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it's fucking pretty fucking good, actually. Like, uh, it's, it's really interesting. But yeah, so, that, so the one dude is still alive at least. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I guess Richard Wright's the only one that's passed. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, too bad because it's easy to replace drummers. <laughs> hey, there's an opening. <laughs> uh, I, I'm pretty sure you can cover it. I, I don't. I, 
I am sure that there is that there is a universe of difficulty in there once once you tried to like actually do it. So seven four. I'm not. Yeah, who could who could who, who could even who could who could imagine? I think there's actually some lore that they that there's like that there were some tracks that Nick Mason couldn't do and they had to get Jeff Percaro to come in and do them or something like that. Huh. I don't know if it was on a specific Floyd record or whatever. Jeff Percaro was like the drummer in Toto and he played on like Beat It and he was just stu- really studio hotshot in the okay. 80s and whatnot. So um, so he's like the Chuck Mangione of drummers? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't know. I'm Sorry. just picturing Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill now. <laughs> that's, that's all that I can see. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> who would the Chuck Mangione drummers be? Huh. First you have to figure out what does Chuck Mangione yeah. do? <laughs> yeah, what he is plays the, trumpet, I know that. Who but... is the Chuck Mangione of Chuck Mangione? Yeah. You know, like how, you know, like <laughs> Angus Young? Excuse me? <laughs> Does Chuck Mangione strut across the stage in a Or Malcolm or Malcolm Young, sorry. Oh, he just stands in the background and does not much. Yeah, like Yeah, like someone who makes like kind of kind of like boring records that are accidentally popular but are technically technically fusion and technically respected by musicians has good mm. musicians playing with them. That's that's the trick is because Sounds Chuck like Mangione Malcolm Young to me. Chuck Mangione was technically popular and he, and he, you know, like he did have like a hit or two, maybe just like an instrumental or something. And so that's, that's why it's like, mm. I don't know how you, how you, yeah, he, I, I think Chuck Mangione might be an island unto himself. Robert Sweet. Who is that even? Who is that? From Striper. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Whoa. No. Oh, come not on. A path but, his, but, Michael but his, but his drums the, the, were the, on the, chains. <laughs> Fox <Sorry>. Striper. <laughs> they were Any, the, they were like the the Christian. Oh one, right? God! Fuck all of those guys. Who, somebody sent me a text the other day. There's a, a with a with a screenshot of them. They're touring right now, and they look haggard. Oh, but they still have the yellow and black spandex. I kid you not, dude. Any I mean, fucking... what else do they have? <laughs> <laughs> Any fucking band that's like we're gonna rock, but for Jesus. Fuck you. Like, fuck you, man. No. Dude, I don't. Because no, there's no, no one else does that. No one's like, I'm going to jazz. But for Jesus. Like, you know, like, it's just, it's just uniquely, it's almost unique. I mean, they, it happens in other genres, but man, is it like unique to the rock, you know? I mean, it's already bad enough when the band just goes, we're going to rock. Because like, I don't want to fucking hear that shit already. already right. Hold. Yeah. Unless it's Twisted Sister. And then I'll hear it. Only because only because I but like. they want to rock right. <laughs> so if they want it, it's a, it's like I feel okay about that. Right. I want to rock. Is um, that Twisted Sister? That's yeah. Is it? Yeah, that's Twisted Sister. I don't know anymore. Yeah, it all kind of blurs for me. But then at some point they didn't want to take it anymore. So it you know like, somebody that I'm really late to the game on, but I am just Motorhead. Mm. I have been going through this Motorhead phase for the last like two months, and. Man, those guys were just amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's another one of those bands that it, it's it's it totally makes sense why why people our age miss that boat because if if we tried to listen to Motorhead, it's like, well, this is not quite thrash metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. And, 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 and think about it like this: this was what really piqued my interest. Their first album came out like a week and a half after Elvis died. When did Elvis die? Like seventy six. Shit. Okay. Or seventy eight. I think it's 78. 78. Okay. Still, or I think that's August, when the first yeah, Motorhead August, record. August 6th. Still like late 70s. Of 78 was when 70s. he died. And like August the 18th or something was when the first Motorhead record came out. Okay. It was like the universe went, okay, he's dead. Now this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's out of the way. But when you that's, listen to that first Lenny. record, it's there's such a an influence of that sort of 50s rock. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. But just this balls to the wall heavy metal. Well, Lemmy's talked pretty, pretty extensively about how his biggest vocal influence is like Little Richard and yeah. shit like that, you know. And so yeah, yeah, that doesn't that awesome. doesn't surprise me. Um, I was hoping it was the other way around, that. like the like the Motorhead record killed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that was the drugs. Yeah, that, that would have that would have it's like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like he just put put on that that LP when he was on the toilet. And just, <laughs> just yeah, couldn't, he never got off. Uh huh. Um. So uh, a few more things I wanted to throw out mm-hmm. about about some of the songs here. Yeah. Um. Please. So the pigs on a wing. When I when I heard this one, just from the title, I was like, Do you feel? Springfield. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Do you feel? Do you feel? Well, that was Frampton, though. I got it from Pink Floyd's yard sale. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's you know. He had the pig. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. It's a Simpsons joke. Yeah. I gathered. Yeah. So that was from. Well, shit. The was the pig from the animals tour. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense, but for some reason I associated that with the wall, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, it was animals. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's, it, on, on tour for animals, Pink Floyd had a, just a fucking giant pig, inflatable pig. Awesome. That was a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were all into like full immersion shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. They had like super wild shit like that way early on. Yeah. Compared to a lot of, yeah. Um. Shine on Crazy Diamond, probably my favorite. That's probably my favorite on here. You should you should go listen to the rest you of that should, album then. You should make a uh, try this. Make a playlist of just those two songs because they split them up sure. first and last of, mm-hmm. of the album, mm-hmm. and just listen to that as one cohesive piece. That's sort of what sure. I was thinking about doing. Was <clears throat> was sort of like okay, I I think I just need to maybe just go and like immerse myself in one album. That's the one, probably. You know? Yeah. 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 So so you know that that is about Sid Barrett. Wish you were here. The album Wish You Were Here is about Sid mm-hmm. Barrett. Yeah. Shine on you crazy diamond. Mm-hmm. Sid. And you buy that, Robert? Yeah. <laughs> and and get this. Apparently while they were recording that. He like came into. He the showed studio, up to the studio, but he looked so fucking haggard. They did that they not didn't recognize him. him, and he was like there for an hour. Yeah, before they realized, oh, that's Sid. In the booth. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was only like a few years after he left the band. It wasn't like crazy long. No, no. He had such an indelible mark on that whole band. You know, I mean, there there were influences in The Wall. There were influences in Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was overlap. Like, he didn't leave and then Gilmore came on. There was, like, some overlap. Yeah, there. yeah. Uh, for, like, at least an album maybe or two. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly. But. He had one songwriting credit on the second album. But his influence was still there in the arrangement. And they were still mm-hmm. kind of, they were still in that overlap. Um, but yeah, which, okay. Okay. Rad. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's, that's probably what it, what it will, what it would take for me to sort of like get it, you know, is to like, okay, I got to spend, cause I, I can, I can at a distance, I can absolutely acknowledge like, well, all of this is objectively great music (laughs) and masterfully, um, put together. Uh, like maybe more than any other, kind of like we alluded to earlier, maybe more than any other band and any other set of albums, these albums specifically, uh, they they really shine the most when you like let them, as cheesy as it fucking sounds, like when you let them take you on the journey that they want to take you on. Because that, that... They're made with that in mind, I guess is the thing. Right, right, right. Like they, they, they didn't make this so that people could listen to it in their car. They made it so they could listen to it on their piece of furniture that they yeah, saved up exactly. to Exactly, yeah. Like, these are album-ass albums, like more than anything else I can think I have of. A, I have a playlist that album-ass whenever I... Album. I struggle every now and then with insomnia, and, and I've got a playlist that I call Sleep Floyd, <laughs> and the first two tracks are Shine On You Crazy Diamond, the, the, the first section the and the second yeah. section. And... I, it doesn't work. It doesn't put me to sleep because I get so wrapped up <laughs> right. in the songs. But I listen to it anyway because it just, it's like, it's my psychological happy spot. Again, seven minutes and 12 seconds in, he hits that that third solo. And I just, it's it's sort of like Stevie Ray Vaughan's uh, version of Little Wing. Little Wing, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got that one spot where I just get chills and yep. I, gr- I I involuntarily grin every single time. This is the same way for me. Do you yep. know what helps me go to sleep? I'm not not bullshitting. What? An- <sighs> Anthems to the Woken at Dusk by Emperor. <laughs> just some... Just... Well, I mean, just by the title alone, like you, you think it's you. At dusk, yeah, yeah, at dusk. yeah, yeah. It's time, it's, yeah. Uh, it's just, just some, some good, some, some good, like. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they were going for. Black metal, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it, 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 death metal doesn't do it, but, but black metal black does. Certain, mm. certain kinds, certain kinds, yeah. Like Demon Borg Gear wouldn't do it, but like that kind of like wall of sound, you know what I mean? Venom. <sighs> I've gone to sleep to Venom before, but. It's, it's because you were at one of their concerts, though. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! Ouch! Damn. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have, I have too much else, you All know, right. to to, th- to throw on the fire here. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I don't know, I don't, not, not much else. I I love the way, like I sort of talked about earlier, like how they sort of did what we did on "Carry Me Home." 
mm-hmm. on animals. And then Wish You Were Here is sort of the inverse of that, where Animals mm. has this short little intro and then three huge songs mm-hmm. and then a short little outro. Whereas Wish You Were Here is a huge intro, three little songs and a, and huge, a huge outro. outro. Oh, I always no. like, I always really love that. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, intentional or not, fucking, I don't know. But it's like it's there's five tracks on each one. It lines up perfectly. It's, it's a cool that? inversion. That's kind of so. Are, is there so that's which two albums again? Wish You Were Here, which was which came first, and then Animals, which is the next album. Okay, so there's like a symmetry between those two albums. Yeah, almost, like an inverse symmetry sort of okay. thing. Okay, yeah. I almost... Whenever whenever people talk about like albums sort of mimicking each other in that way, I always think of Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets because they're, mm. they're almost the same exact album. Like, like they just tried... Like Ride the Lightning, like they were, they were trying to write Master... That was Master Puppets Draft 1. Yeah. Is almost what it is. Right. You know, but then they did Master of Puppets, and then they threw on Damage Incorporated at the very end, right? After Orion, to oh yes, right. so to it's like it's like a little flipped. different. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah right. it's, it's yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, because well, they're like, well, we can't do it exactly the same. But, but then they had to repeat that with uh, Dire's Dire's Eve. Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, but there's like nine tracks on Injustice, so it's completely mm. everything it throws different. it out. That's out the window. Yeah. Spin the wheel, man. Um, now we're so. back to Injustice for all. Look at that. Yep. So yeah, there there will be a there will probably be another. Uh, there will be Metallica casts. Yeah, 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 and that will probably be a fun one to have Shay involved because that's that's that was our first interaction with each other. Actually. An argument about yeah. Metallica. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was we'll di- save it for the pod, y'all. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah we can save it. Take it outside. <laughs> we can save it. And well, and it's also it's interesting because there's. Like I've talked to people who are older, they older than you, and like their relationship to Metallica, and you know, it. There are people older than me. <laughs> I, wow. There's one. There's one. Yeah, James Hetfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, probably Kirk is. Kirk, I was gonna say he he looks like the Crypt Keepers <laughs> a little bit, man. Yeah, a little he, bit. yeah, yeah. I was talking to James. I was like, "What do you think of Kill 'Em All?" <laughs> I, I don't have it anymore. I, although I might, I might have a digital copy somewhere. But um, I used to have a copy of their five-song demo mm. called mm-hmm. uh, "No Life, Life to, to Leather." leather. Oh, wow. oh, that was that was painful. Not as painful as the early Pantera, though. I don't know that second that that last one they did before Cowboys from Hell just felt like just Judas Priest. Yeah. I didn't listen to the other stuff though. Yeah, we should have. We should have. We can. We we maybe maybe that'll be one of the maybe that'll be one of the bonus episodes. Mm, there we'll, you go. We'll do we'll do a react, a react <laughs> live reacts. Yeah, with an so. X. Well, um, this has been fun, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as far as the stuff, like just one more addendum. Like uh, I think uh, the first ones I got into were Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall, uh-huh. but I think Wish You Were Here probably overall is my favorite mm. front to back. And that, when did that happen? Like, when did it become clear that, like, oh, this is my favorite like one? Like, later on, actually, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forget when, maybe, like, early 2000s, let's say. Oh, okay. But so still pretty. Yeah, not, like, last week or anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that, that's, that, that's a thing that, that happens sometimes, you know? Yeah, you go back to old stuff, and you're like, oh, man, why didn't I like this? Yeah. Right. You know, like, sure. like I do now? Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah. This was their this was their uh, most popular phase, I think, by a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, everything we'll talk about next time, like, no less interesting. Mm. Yeah. So, looking forward to that. All right. All and right. So, uh, yeah. One thing. Are, are you going to include... Um, fuck, what is it called? The Endless... Scene? Endless River? Endless River? Yeah. You're going to include... Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Great. Great. It, that's like Umaguma 2 to me. Hmm. It's like to, to me, it's like the 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 bookends of the real David Gilmore era. Okay, but okay, we'll get to that. All right, man. Good, because it just came so much later. Uh, I was I was like, okay, good, yeah. great, perfect. All right, cool. Adios, buddy. Thank you.